That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. That's right. Welcome in to the bald faced truth right here on the BFT Radio Network. Wherever you may be listening, thanks for making this show part of your day alongside Stephen Vaughn. I'm Judah Newby in for John Canzano this, uh, this fine Wednesday. JC on his way to Vegas, part two. Two weeks, two Vegas trips. Good for him. Though he's working. He's working. We got Pac-12 tournament action live right now as it's going on. We got two games in the books. At least one game in the books. One game just underway. Two more games later tonight, including them beeves. Them beavers. We got a tinkle against Bobby Hurley tonight, which is going to be a lot of fun. 503-417-7575. 503-417-7575. There is a lot to get to. NFL notes galore. You know I'm going to hit on those when I'm in the chair. Blazers are in Beantown to take on the Celtics. A good buddy of mine out in New England is going to the game tonight. I asked Stephen Vaughn earlier in the week, is this going to be a good time to get the Celtics or a bad time to get the Celtics, given that... Uh, my side eye of the NF or of the NBA in the last week and a half or so has seen the Celtics lose a few heartbreakers along the way. I know they lost that uh, that big lead against Brooklyn, lost that game. They lost a tough one to the New York Knicks, and then they lost a terrible overtime loss to Cleveland at the end. And here they come, you know, taking on the Blazers. But at last check, Stephen, I saw it was uh, Celtics minus ten. So that kind of told me what kind of game this might be. Yeah, it. Uh... It may go down to nine and a half, but yeah, nine and a half, oh. ten. That seems about right, though. I, I was going to tell you that, you know, it seems okay. like a double-digit type of game, but uh, I don't, I don't see how the Blazers can pull this one off. I'll be honest. All right, so it's not the same as because where, where's the Beavers ASU line as well? Because that was right around ten too, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it was eleven yesterday. So oh. what, what's more likely, a Beavers win or a Blazers win? That's that's the real question. <laughs> that's a great question. If only there was a Dame-like figure on Oregon State, uh, maybe that would be. Uh, a, a worthy conversation as well. But which opponent is more vulnerable? Arizona State or the Boston Celtics? What a fun, what a fun debate that is. It, it would have to be Arizona State. It's got to be honest. Arizona State. Because they're college kids. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's the only reason why. Uh, Blazers, Celtics, uh, that's going to be 430. So uh, we'll, we'll monitor how that is going uh, throughout the show as well. But, of course, Pac-12 tournament action. we got Washington State and Cal is just underway from Vegas. 14-11, Cougs lead by three. We will check in after the game live from Vegas with a beat reporter of Washington State basketball. So that will be in all likelihood in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Colton Clark from the Spokesman Review in Spokane will uh, join the program after all the press conferences wrap up with Washington State. Uh, in all likelihood, should the Cougs take care of business because Cal is terrible, the Oregon Ducks will face Washington State tomorrow in the quarterfinal 
at 2.30 p.m. So we'll get an inside look on how this game went and how the Cougs line up the Ducks tomorrow in Vegas. Should, should Wazoo take care of business in this 5-12. The phone number, 503-417-7575. On Twitter.com, at 750thegame, at Judah Newby as well. And so many news and notes. But 47 years is a long time to be at one place. Too long, in my opinion. And that is what one James Timothy Bayheim did with his career. I don't know if his middle name is Timothy. I'll be honest. But Jimmy B, Jimmy Bayheim, Jimmy Buckets, calling it quits after 47 big ones with Big Orange. It's a long time. What do we make of this? Well, Jim Bayheim, to me, first of all, congratulations, I guess. A little bit of congratulations. But not the most likable coach in college basketball, if I'm being honest. And there has been some shady business in, under his tenure in Syracuse, uh, most notably with an assistant coach there. Wow, man, what was that, a decade ago? Maybe maybe not that long ago. I can't quite place it. But some uh, Penn State-ish type of allegations uh, with an assistant coach there under Jim Beheim's watch that occurred. He had some good teams. He won one national championship. The 2003 team is memorable, unforgettable, if you're a college basketball fan. Second uh, Jerry McNamara reference for me right there in the last week. And Carmelo Anthony on that team. Akeem Warwick on that team. Beating Kansas in the final uh, in the championship game is something. Uh, that was one of the better championship games we saw in that 2003 tournament. And Jim Beheim got it. Um, he's taken some double-digit seeded teams deep into the tournament. He, he's pulled off some upsets along the way. I think it was probably more enjoyable when Syracuse w- was in the Big East and not the ACC as well. But uh, still, to be at a place that long is is kind of amazing. And Jim Beheim calling it quits. Although, is he the one calling it quits? I'm not quite picking up on that either. I heard in the audio cut, Stephen, that, that you've been playing and uh, we'll pull up the the full clip here as well, that he seemed to indicate that uh, it wasn't his decision. So people are asking him, are you retiring? Uh, is this it for you, Jim? What's next for you in your future? How long are you going to know what next steps are for you? And he said, uh, not my call, it's the university's call. I've just been lucky to be able to coach this long. I, I think you missed it. <clears throat> I gave my retirement speech on the court last Saturday, and I gave it in the press conference afterwards, and nobody except William, William Payne figured it out. Are you, are you saying right now that you're, you, you're going to retire? This is up to the university. You, you want to come back? I didn't say that. Uh, okay, but, so what are you saying? You're not saying you're retiring, but you're I not saying? I just said it. I don't know. So you don't know? Okay. I said this is up to the university. And you're not sure whether you're, when will you, when will, how will you make a determination about when you will come back? You're talking to the wrong guy. It's weird. It's a weird way to, to ride off into the, uh, the sunset. If we do say that with Syracuse and Jim Beheim. he says, it's not my call. It's the university's call. Oh, so you'd like to come back? <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that I'd like to come back. Oh, so you're retiring. Nope. 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 Don't put me in a corner. I am pleading the fifth. I was like, man, when it comes to 47 years at one place, wouldn't you think that 
uh, that it would be your call, that it would be your decision. And frankly, it doesn't seem like that's the case with, with Jim Beheim here. Stephen Vaughn, you saw the news that, that came across, and you hear that audio cut from Jim Beheim. 47 years at Syracuse. What do you make of it? It was a weird, like you said, it's a weird way to go out. Like, that's your last memory of Jim Aheim at Syracuse is him getting into, you know, a confrontation with a, with a female reporter. Like, just, he's not answering the questions. Like, does he want to come back? Well, I didn't say that. You know, it just, it kind of, I think, sums up what Jim Beheim was as a coach the last five, six seasons, right? Like, it seemed like the game had really passed him by. And it's not just the NIL stuff, which we've talked about before, Numerous, numerous times with John, like the NIL stuff with the older coaches, and that's why a lot of these coaches retiring or they're thinking about it. I, I think the game kind of passed him up as well, even before the NIL stuff. So it, it just kind of sums up how Jim Beheim has been. But as a career, like great coach and an innovator uh, as well, that 2-3 zone that Syracuse runs, that teams go and scout that and would scout that, you know, other coaches to figure out how to run that zone properly. And they brought it to USA basketball on the Olympic level. Like, that's how good of a coach this guy was, uh, especially at coaching that zone. You know, he had some very memorable players, memorable teams. So I think overall as a career, like, great career. And being in one spot is so awesome. You know, he played at Syracuse as well. But, you know, just kind of a weird way to go out. But, you know, all in all, a legend, Hall of Famer for sure, as he's already in the Hall of Fame. But a legend as a coach, I think. Yeah, pretty amazing that you can run a a scheme that simple and have it just keep working. (laughs) And uh, some years it would work better than others. But... Uh, also, you know, you're you're forcing college kids to be able to shoot well, and sometimes you're going to get that, and sometimes you won't get that uh, with these college kids shooting from the outside. That 2003 Syracuse national title team, where does it rank for you among uh, among your favorite runs? Oh, it's a fun one. It's a fun one because, like you said, they play Kansas, and they had some Oregon ties, Air Miles, Michael Lee on that team of Kansas. Uh, Michael Lee took that Forget shot. about Michael Lee. Yeah, Michael Lee took the shot that Hakeem Warwick blocked in the corner, and Air Miles was the point guard of that team. Uh, I mean, it, that's a really fun team. I, you know, it's right up there and it kind of started the whole, you know, it, it didn't necessarily start the whole freshman, you know, winning national championships. Like you can compete with freshmen, but Carmelo Anthony as a freshman, a one-year guy came in and just completely dominated college basketball and dominated that NCAA tournament. And then I remember Malik Harrison, when he goes to Oregon, he says, I'm going to hurt is it him or his dad or someone in his group said, I'm going to Carmeloize Portland, like, or Oregon. That, that was the thing is everyone was looking for that next Carmelo Anthony, right? And so I think, you know, it, it was a really fun team and a fun run uh, capped off where, you know, an unbelievable game, like you said earlier, just the way, the way it ends, Hakeem Warwick blocking was Michael it? Lee in the corner. And was the other uh, Langford? There was a, was a Keith, Keith Langford? Keith Langford. On Kansas? I, you know what? They they always have those type of guys. Collison, maybe? Was he? Was Nick Collison uh, a Jayhawk back then? He might have been. Yeah, that might have been. I get uh, some of my eras confused with, with, uh, with these guys, but that was a great game and a, and a great run. I do remember that, and I was rooting for Syracuse as well, which – you know, and Jerry McNamara was was my guy. So. Nick, Nick Collison, Kirk Heinrich were on that team. Kirk Heinrich, Wayne <laughs> Simeon. So yeah, Wayne Simeon. Yeah, yeah, that's a great call. So yeah, I mean that team was loaded. That do you know? Do you uh? Do you do you know most national title winners like off the top of your head? Like if I gave you a year, you you would know it. No, I'm trying to think of how good I would be. We talked about 2000 Michigan State last week on the show. 2001, I want to say was Duke. Like Chris Duhon, Duke type of team. I'm honestly terrible at this game. 2002, I know, was Maryland because that's Steve Blake, Juan Dixon, 
you know, Indiana, yeah, all those guys. And then 2003 was Syracuse. But this this is the time of my life where it's really coming in. You know, March Madness and the NCAA tournament was hitting a young Judah I, at like eight, nine, ten years old, and I was just soaking the thing up. Me as well. I just I'm not good at like years and championships, like any sport, really. Oh, like, really? Oh, yeah, interesting. Like, that's just that's just not my thing. Like you huh. can tell me a team that won the championship, and I can you know name off like you just said Maryland. I said, oh yeah, play Indiana. Jared Jeffries, like uh, see, I I forgot that I forgot Jared Jeffries in the Indiana part, but I remember Tom Clover, Cloverdale, Steve Blake, uh, and Juan Dix. Tom Cloverdale, that's a great one. Ra- random coach. random college basketball names like, is so fun. Yeah, you can name. Can I get Kevin Pitznagel for three hundred? You can name the team, and I can start naming things off. I just can't name you what year and who won the championship. All right, how about Illinois when they uh, fell short to Carolina? I do know what year this was. This was oh five. Obviously, that's D uh, D Brown. D Brown, Luther Head, um, and I have a story about Luther Head. Oh, I loved Luther Head. Yeah. So uh, when I was at Concordia playing basketball, one of the guys on my team they they went out to the club. You know, on one weekend, Luther Head was in the NBA. He was on Houston Rockets. They were playing the Blazers that night, and uh, they went out to the club afterwards. And you know, my my, my buddy on the team, he met with some girl, just starts dancing where they were hitting it off really good, you know, hitting it off really well. And uh, all of a sudden, Luther Head and his crew come into the club after the game against the Blazers. Uh, yeah, she left with Luther Head and just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and that's Luther Head. You yeah. know, that's like not a great player, no. but but he is a. An NBA player. He had no, so, he had no shot. No when, shot. When, when, when you're Concordia guy, and, you know, going after the same lady that an NBA player is uh, going with, the NBA player is going to win that one. Yeah. Sorry about no, that. No chance. That's my. Uh, that's what I was thinking of when I think of that Illinois team. Luther Head. That's uh, so funny. James Augustine was on that team. Darren Williams, Roger Powell. Yeah. That guy. I, I. That was a fun team. But that was an interesting. I remember that title game. It was like Carolina got off to a huge, huge lead. I think Illinois made it tight late. Um, but Carolina still won with uh, McCants and Sean May and Raymond Donut Felton and, and all those guys. Yeah, that was the run where they, uh, Illinois beat Derek Williams in Arizona in that crazy comeback with uh, right. Darren Williams oh. hitting all those threes for Illinois. Uh, the wow, eight. Darren Williams versus Derek Williams. Whatever happened to Derek Williams? He was, he was like the number two pick, wasn't he? He was, yeah. He, he flamed out. Yeah, and he's flaming. He's out. Uh, we could we could go on March Madness. Uh, remember when? runs all show long. We'll talk a little bit more uh, about the tournament, the action going on in Vegas, Washington State and Cal right now. If Wazoo wins, that's the team Oregon faces in the tournament in the quarterfinals tomorrow afternoon in Vegas as well. Just underway on a fine Wednesday here on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. At 4 o'clock, Michael Meek, University of Portland women's basketball coach, champions of the West Coast Conference Tournament, and they're going dancing. And guess what? COVID ain't taking this one away from them this time. They're dancing. They're actually going to be playing in the thing, unlike the heartbreak of the spring of 2020. We'll talk to Michael Meek at 4 o'clock. We'll have a live check-in from Vegas in the Pac-12 tournament in the 5 o'clock hour. Newbie in for Cazano on the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back, newbie in for Kanzano, BFT, BFT Radio Network. Four o'clock, we'll check in with UP women's basketball coach Michael Meek, champions of the conference tournament in the West Coast Conference. On the men's side, uh, Gonzaga had no problems with St. Mary's 
last night. That one was a blowout and a blowout early. Stephen Vaughn, I know you are all over uh, conference tournament action as well and trying to get angles and pieces that uh, are profitable for the house of Vaughn. How's it going so far? Uh, not terrible. Uh, oh, that's know, good. Yeah, no, I mean, it, <laughs> it could be better, but obviously, but uh, it's not not been terrible. It's you know, it's just a lot of fun. It's my favorite time of year, Judah. Like, I just love uh, all the games. And now we're getting to the games where these tournaments are starting early in the morning. So it's like I'm watch I'm yeah. watching that Syracuse Wake Forest game. You know, while I'm getting my kids ready for school. Like, it's just I love this time of year, and it's so fun. And so you know, it's, it's wrapping up, which makes me sad, but at the same time. My favorite part, man. I'm, I'm excited. What was the game that we were watching yesterday in studio? It was a UNC Wilmington and College of Charleston. Yeah. yeah. What conference are we doing? Is that Colonial? That's not that, Colonial. What is this? That is the Colonial. It is the Colonial? That is the uh, Colonial, okay. yeah. Yeah, Jeez. Charleston, uh, they ended up winning the game. They got 30 wins on the season, 30-3. and three, And I, I told you, I can't wait. Well, I was hoping they would win because I want to bet against them in the NCAA tournament because I don't think they're very good. They did win. And they did win, so I'm it, excited about that. UNC Wilmington was leading in the second half, and it was all Seahawks. And uh, and then Charleston came back and got the win and advanced. I was a little sad because I was watching that game, and I looked up, and it's a rare occurrence when there's someone with my last name playing in a meaningful sporting event. Mm. My last name is Newby, N-E-W-B-Y. So you can imagine my uh, excitement when I just looked at my screen real quick and I saw a Newby on the back of a jersey in a meaningful college basketball game, I was like, what? Am I am I watching like an alternate path of, of what my life could have been? Uh, but no, there was a newbie that played for UNC Wilmington. I think he runs point guard. He's also like number 55 and is like a small dude wearing 55, which I kind of respect that. Greg Anthony was a 50, wasn't he? Point guard. Yeah, there's been I always, few. I always, what was Eddie House? Eddie House, did he Eddie, have a big ass number? <laughs> Eddie House was always my guy. Like I, I always wanted to be, uh, like number fifty or something like that. But they never. But really, you're, you are a big guy. But when I, but in basketball terms, like I play on the wing still. Oh really? Sometimes, yeah. Oh. So it's like I you were moving guys around on the block. I mean, I, I do that too, but uh, <laughs> I do it, I do it all. But yeah, no, Donovan Newby. I'm looking at him right here. Donovan Newby, number okay. 55. But they all the teams that I had never had numbers in the 50s. They just would stop at like 45 or 44. Oh really? They yeah. just didn't have it available. Yeah, no, we weren't we weren't that good. That's, that's small oh, Concordia, Concordia, man. Uh, R.I.P. Right? R.I.P. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But I used to go to AC Green basketball camps at Concordia. Uh, and by used to, I mean a, a couple of summers when I was a kid. I may have been eight or nine, and A.C. Green uh, held his basketball camps right there, and it was awesome. Formative. Iron Man. And that's best. when you knew you, that you weren't going to be playing for UNC Wilmington? I will tell Yes, correct. And I will tell you that I got a concussion, maybe a mild concussion. And I know there's, you know, people in the medical field are like, there's no degrees of concussion, okay? It's all a concussion. It's all to be taken seriously. That's true, but this particular time, I felt fine, but I was probably, what, three foot 11 as, as a young little kiddo, young little whippersnapper, running around AC Green basketball camp. My head coach was a, a girl named Jill. Jill was awesome. She drove a Volkswagen Jetta. I didn't. I don't remember. I I didn't scout that out. By the way, she told the team that she drove a, a Volkswagen Jetta. She's like, my name is Coach Jill. I drive a Volkswagen Jetta. It was like a. I don't know what it was. It was like trying to remember her name. So that wasn't me scouting out what kind of car she drives. To be clear, 
Uh, but Coach Jill, who drives Jetta, I was playing for her team. I was playing against a kid who was also my size, this African-American kid named Shaquille. He was Shaquille, but he ran point guard. So he had the name of the giant that is Shaquille O'Neal, but he was my size. But And I was I was okay. I was halfway decent. But I went up for a rebound. I fell to the court, and Shaquille stepped on my head. <laughs> and that's how I... I thought, like, I was a little bit hazy, and I was like, I better check in. So I ended up feeling fine. I didn't even have any symptoms. And I remember A.C. Green picked me up and chucked me over his shoulder as a sack of potatoes, pretty much. I don't know if that would be frowned upon today. It was like a kid's in concussion protocol. Maybe you don't want to horse around with them. But I probably, you know, exhibited behavior that I was feeling just fine, and it was just a a minor flesh wound, as it were, and A.C. Green was having fun with it. But I always remember that day and a kid named Shaquille stepping on my head. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you remember... The story so vividly. I feel like it can't be. It couldn't be that. <laughs> it couldn't it be, be that bad. bad of a concussion, right? Yeah. I feel okay for AC Green to throw you around afterwards. Exactly. So uh, shout out Concordia and uh, Concordia Basketball for providing kiddos with experiences like those. Chances to be stepped on by kids named Shaquille. That is the absolute best. I did see a story here. Uh, an 82-year-old man in Colorado has been charged with selling and trading fake Michael Jordan basketball cards in a scheme that prosecutors say results in him making more than $800,000 over four years. Mayo Gilbert McNeil was arrested in Denver after a complaint was unsealed in federal court in Brooklyn, charging him with conspiracy to commit wire fraud according to the Brooklyn U.S. Attorney's Office. McNeil was accused of making numerous fraudulent deals beginning in 2015, including a 2019 sale of a counterfeit card to a victim in New York for $4,500, and a 2017 deal where he allegedly traded two counterfeit cards for two authentic Tom Brady football cards. This dude's 82 in Denver. And he's just pulling the wool over people's eyes with MJ cards, making over $800,000. Dude, it would be one thing if it was eight grand. Eight hundred grand. this 82-year-old allegedly made from faking up MJ cards and selling them for big money, including $4,500 in one sale in, uh, in 2019. Uh, McNeil, his name, what was his name again? Yeah, McNeil. Mayo Gilbert McNeil was scheduled to make an initial appearance in U.S. District Court in Colorado today and then appear in a New York courtroom at a later date. Uh, It's unclear if he is represented by an attorney and no one answered a call to his Denver home. You surprised by this, Stephen? 82-year-old man in Denver making over 800 gur on fake MJ cards? I mean, it, it's alarming at how much it is, but I will say I'm not shocked by how much it is at the same time because cards cards made a big comeback, Jude. I don't know if you know this. I heard. I have not, you know, partook myself in the last five years, but it, 82 years old. I mean, he, he can't be new to the game. Yeah, it's not like our cards from the 90s are worth anything. That's the thing. Those cards are worth nothing, but like cards. That's too bad. The, yeah, the actual cards and collectibles, like the rare ones that they are talking about, uh, it, it's a big deal now. I remember when I was driving Uber, I, I had a guy who I'd pick up all the time, and he was so into all the cards. He's like, oh, I'm collecting all these rookie cards. And so it, it was pretty interesting. But, yeah, 82 years old, I mean, it seemed like, you know, that, that's the thing, though. If you're going to be making $800,000 and you're 82, 
I mean, how much more long? How much longer you got? Right. So you, <laughs> yeah. might, you might as well just go hard as hard as you can. I mean, where they? Oh, gonna... so you don't you don't blame it? You respect it? I respect it. It's wire fraud. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> condone, condone it. <laughs> I don't condone it. I, res- I respect the hustle. Though. Respect the hustle. At eighty two years old, like Woo. you just try to you know finish out the rest of your life and have a nice uh, little cushion for yourself. I gotta say, man. And the funny part is, like, he traded two Jordan cards not for money, but for two. Tom Brady authentic cards as well. So clearly he is going to spin off some Tom Brady cards as well for big money, even though they're authentic. How how do you even go about making uh, a counterfeit card? That's I, don't, thing. Like that eight, I don't know. Like at 82, I feel like that's he's got to be pretty smart because yeah. it seems like uh, the technology would be hard to make a, a counterfeit card that people are actually going to buy and, and like think it's real because those card collectors, you know, they're so, uh, you know, Studious. Yeah, they, they're very studious. They're on their. They want, they're yeah. on their stuff. Yeah, this is uh, this is some white collar stuff going on here, uh, clearly. So that came across the wire, as it were, and uh, caught my eye. Eighty-two year old man is uh, charged with selling and trading fake Michael Jordan basketball cards. Prosecutors say he made over eight hundred thousand dollars in four years. So, uh, going to be a hairy situation for Mayo Gilbert McNeil. What is the best card that you have? Or have had. Uh, not, nothing, nothing nothing impressive, no. One of my regrets in life is trading to my buddy. My buddy, when I was a kid, was a huge, huge Mariners fan. I had a rookie, Alex Rodriguez, mm. and I traded it. This is going to make you laugh. It was a sympathy trade because he was begging for the thing. I traded it for a rookie Dikembe Mutombo card. Nice. And now I can only hear Dikembe Mutombo in my head saying, "No, no, no! Don't trade it! Don't trade A Rod for me!" What are that AR A Rod cards worth now? I don't want to know. May, you know what? Maybe it was fake. That's what I'm going to tell oh, myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fake. I fleeced him. That's what happened. Uh, in order to make me feel better. But as the years have gone by, and the, again, A Rod, you know, steroids and all that. So maybe it's a little bit lesser, but still at the same time. I don't. I don't really know how steroids affects card value. That's that's an interesting conversation as well. Like if you've got good bonds cards and stuff like that, if you got a bonds rookie, like is that value affected by his legacy one way or the other? I don't know. Uh, but I do remember giving up on that A Rod rookie for Dikembe Mutombo rookie and being like, yeah, that was stupid. Yeah, I mean you're just. Being you a, it sounds like you're being a nice guy. So. I was being a nice guy. I got to hit that friend up sometime and be like, do you still have that card? Do you Can got I- the Dikembe card still? Probably. It's in the attic of my parents' place, in all likelihood, uh, along with a lot of other cards that uh, I've got to dust off at some point. Uh, 503-417-7575. Do you have a card? Do you still have a card that you esteem higher than the rest? Do you have a favorite card? Do you have a card story growing up uh, that that you always remember? 503-417-7575. We'll check in with the action live from Vegas in the 5 o'clock hour, Washington State and Cal uh, just ended the first half. Washington State's got a pretty good lead. It's like 14, 15 points or so. Uh, Stephen Vaughn will have it uh, in his update as well uh, coming up here in the greater Portland area. Uh, if you don't, Stephen, uh, then I'll find it for you and uh, and put it in your update for you. I got it. <laughs> and uh, if you're around, you can uh, feel free to allow a call. 503-417-7575. Michael Meek, UP women's basketball coach, joins us at 4 o'clock as well. Newbie in for Kazano on the Bold Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Welcome back to the show. Newbie in for Consano. JC down to Vegas for the men's Pac-12 tournament. Oregon State plays Arizona State tonight. Uh, John wrote about that on johnconsano.com. The uh, commitment to Wayne Tinkle leading the uh, men's basketball program with Oregon State. Uh, What is at stake tonight, if anything, with the Beavs? Uh, Of course, that spread has been right around 10, 9.5. 11. Uh, Oh, it's 11? Yep. All right, well, there you go. Money uh, coming in on the fighting Hurleys. 503-417-7575. In the previous segment, we were talking about an 82-year-old man from Colorado uh, being charged with uh, wire fraud and other things. Prosecutors allege that this man made over $800,000 over the last four years. So we're talking from age 78 to age 82. He's made over eight hundred grand. Uh, from selling fake Michael Jordan cards. Fake. A lot of questions. But we we're talking about trading cards and sports cards in general. Do you have a card that you like? Do you have a, a story of a, uh, a sports card transaction or one that you're holding on to for one reason or another? I regret trading my buddy a rookie Alex Rodriguez card when he was still with the Mariners and uh, in return getting a rookie Dikembe Mutombo card. Because I felt bad for my friend who really wanted my A-Rod card. So I got fleeced willingly, knowingly. Uh, but your your stories at 503-417-7575. Terry is in Eugene. Hey, Terry. Hey. I, uh, I, I catch you guys a lot, but not all the time. But I, I'm glad I got in on this one. I don't have a really good – oh, I'm sure I, I got hosed out of a lot of cards because I'm 61, and I had – I mean, there's cars I had that turned into bicycle spoke decorations yeah. when I was young. And I wish I'd had the Rusty Stobbs and those Juan Marichals, but I don't. <laughs> and anyway, uh, no, I have, so I have a problem. And you guys are the right age, I think-ish. You guys are probably younger. My son, if he was still alive, would be 40 tomorrow. And I've got a crap ton of boxes because all we did was buy cards when he was a kid. I mean, box sets and stuff. What should I do with all these boxes mm. of baseball cards from essentially from the 80s and 90s? Baseball cards, 80s and 90s. And I say boxes, I mean like produce boxes. <laughs> you, know, you know, apple apple boxes from the grocery store. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, okay. I have, you got a lot of cards on I your have, hands, Terry. I have 300 pounds of cardboard. What do I do with that? You know what? There should be, and Stephen, tell me if if you know, there should be a third party that uh, that specializes in things like that. Those of us, and I will say us, Terry, because I also have a lot of cards. I don't think I have the volume that you do, but I'm I'm kind of like, what do I do? I don't want to just give it to Goodwill, obviously. We got them in your mom's attic for the love of God. <laughs> exactly. I haven't seen them in years. <laughs> they've got to be they've got to be worth something. But I don't know what they're worth. Uh, but I don't want them to to go and you know, for right. for for right. something Turn that's them you know shredding. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. I don't want to get fleeced, and I love bicycles, but I don't want to put them in my spokes either. What what, what? what do we do, Stephen? I mean, honestly, I, I my my parents got rid of all my cards that I had growing up. Like they just threw them out, and then I and then my wife ha- I had some, and she's just like, "Why do you have these?" So we just we just <laughs> got rid of them all. We just threw them all away. I'll be honest. Wow. Okay. There's nothing valuable in there. There's nothing valuable in there. So, to, but Terry, I take it from you. You would uh, you would like to at least know what you have on your hands. 
Yeah, but I don't have the time to. I don't have the time to sort through and look for. I don't know Gary Sheffield rookies, or maybe there's even a Maddox rookie. I don't know. Okay. But there, you know, if there's something tight in there, and I'm I'm talking, you know, that's not just tops. These aren't just tops randoms. They, they got box sets of Fleer, the old Fleer and upper deck. That's right. Stuff. Okay. Well, I mean, hey, let me put open. let me put it out to the listeners at five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. A, what's your advice for Terry and Eugene, who has a lot of cards, doesn't have the time to go through them all, but wants to know what he's got and then make an informed decision on what to do with them. Uh, B, can you help him out? (laughs) Do you want to be uh, the individual that says, yeah, Terry, let's use the muscle and the strength of the BFT Army, get this thing together, I'll help a brother out, and uh, we'll we'll go through these and see what you got on your hands. And my price for admission, my my uh, the charge will be I get to pick out any two or three cards that I think I want. There you go. So if there just happens to be a Maddox rookie, a Bonds rookie, something pretty sweet and valuable, then uh, it could be a win-win. You're doing Terry a favor, and you're getting something uh, yourself if you know uh, what you're doing and if you know what you're about. 503-417-7575. Uh, Dave is in Vancouver, and uh, he's got a thought on it. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, so uh, during the break, I looked on eBay and looked up the cards you were talking about that you traded the uh, A-Rod for Matumbo. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I don't know what card you had, but I started at the top, like the highest price, and scrolled backwards. Highest one was like $6,000, <laughs> and some were graded, some were not. And kept going, kept going, kept going, and I got to like five hundred dollars, and it was, it was even lower than that. I'm, I'm assuming, but uh, so that's that card. Okay. And then the Matumbo, <laughs> uh, the top one I believe was five hundred and something, and you scroll down and you, you could get one for fifty bucks. But it depends on what's in your hat. Okay. And the grade and yeah, all what that. What brand was it, Judith? They, they were all different. I, I got directly search the name. It's on eBay. Okay, so I'm yeah, such yeah. a noob, right? So I'm true to my name here, newbie, and I, I'm true to it. Uh, how do I? Because I know I can picture it in my head. I got no idea though the brand or exactly you know what kind of grade or whatever. How do I go about trying to find that? In your You're opinion, me? yeah. So in your I, in your uh, opinion, Dave. I don't know. I I just searched on eBay. I just searched uh, right. Alex Rodriguez rookie card. Okay. And All now, right. Here's the Fleers. Here's the Don Russ. You can refine that and put just one brand of card. And uh, but it depends on which one you have. You I mean, say the ceiling. Like you know. Worst case scenario is it was the six thousand dollar one, <laughs> and the Matumbo one I had was like fifty bucks. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm willing to believe that that it was more in that range than uh, than uh, the five hundred dollar Matumbo. The Matumbo one was not that nice. <laughs> And anyone that collects Sports Illustrated? Sports Illustrated, man. Absolutely. Okay. uh, Victor Wimignana is on the cover right now. They're on sale at uh, the bookstore, Barnes & Noble. Okay. Go get one, you're saying? Make make up the difference of what I've lost? Recoup my My losses? My dad bought 10 yesterday. All right. Yeah. All right, man. Nice talking to you. Good talking to you. 503-417-7575. You just uh, have to oh, Google oh, it. Oh, 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 oh. You have to Google it and then find the I picture f- and then f- look at it and figure it out. Yeah, I found it. I found it. Um, 
1993 Alex Rodriguez rookie card graded mint 10 classic images. Well, hey, I may have lucked out uh, because on this eBay listing, it says it's only $20. Yeah. I don't know if I believe that. Let me know. Let me know what you think uh, if you've got horror stories. I'll uh, I'll try to tweet out the link of the card that I'm talking about. But um, because I remember thinking that it was pretty special. Twenty bucks? What a letdown! My friend can have it. I don't care. Good for him. Uh, We'll bounce a break and come back. Uh, UP women's basketball coach Michael Meek at the top of the hour as well. We'll have a live check-in from Vegas in the five o'clock hour. Along the way, our big splash is next here on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Our big splash is coming up next hour. Blazer Celtics. That's around a 10 point spread. I got a buddy of mine out in the, that area that's going to the game tonight. Big Celtics fan. Uh, Steven Vaughn with me, Judah newbie, by the way, and for JC today, uh, JC down in Vegas for the men's tournament in the fine PAC 12 conference, the conference of champions. We'll talk about that. Talk about the silence of George Klyovkov this week. And uh, and what that all means, and and the games on the court. We'll have a live check in uh, on with Vegas with the beat writer for Washington State men's basketball. In all likelihood, that will be the opponent Oregon gets at two thirty tomorrow afternoon. Blazers Celtics tonight. Celtics Stephen, what do we make of them? Uh, you know they went to the finals last year. Golden State may or may not be in their head a little bit. They still got a good shot to to return to the NBA Finals, or are you seeing uh, signs of you know a little bit of weakness to to the to the unit? How is the Ime Udoka transition? How's it gone? Obviously, they've won a lot of games, but are they the same team that uh, we expected them to be? Yeah, I think that they are. Uh, you know, you look at the Eastern Conference. There's really two teams right now that are head and shoulders above everybody. That's Boston and uh, Milwaukee, and then you can maybe throw Philadelphia if you want to throw them in when they're healthy, but I, I wouldn't. I think it's really down to Milwaukee and Boston uh, to get out of the Eastern Conference. And, and if I'm a Celtics fan, like I'm not worried about this little stretch they've hit. Uh, you know, this, this stuff's going to happen. They've been at the top of the Eastern Conference. They've proven they can go on the road and win in a Game 7. Uh, they did that last season in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Heat. So, uh, you know, they have the experience. They have, you know, all the grit and stuff that they showed last year to get to the NBA Finals. I, I don't think if you're a Celtics fan, you got to be worried about this stretch. And for the Blazers tonight, like, I, I don't expect the Blazers to go in and win this game. And it's, it's not because, uh, you know, I think Boston's vulnerable or anything. I just think Boston is a much more talented team. And even though Portland's won two in a row due to, like, they played Orlando and Detroit, and they won by single digits both those games you know, they were underdogs. In they they were dogs to Orlando. Yeah, two and a half point underdogs <laughs> in Orlando. Sad. Five point uh, favorites against the Pistons. They barely covered that one. Like, you know, 
they, they just, it took a lot to beat two really bad teams. Now, Nurk is questionable. I haven't seen officially if he's in oh. or out, which would be huge for the Blazers if he's back. Uh, actually, huge. I have seen. He is he is going to play today. Oh! Nurk is playing, so that that will be big for the Nurk Blazers. Nurk fever! Uh, I mean, because going into the, down the other stretch here, Judah, Blazers, they're tied for 10th place, half game behind the Lakers for 9th place, but they're also you know only a half game ahead of the Thunder for 13th place in the West. So, that sentence you just said, just I can't. That's so funny. They are half game better than who? Who'd you say? The Thunder. Than the Thunder for thirteenth place. And a half, like, and a half it game is behind freaking, the Lakers for ninth. Yeah. It is freaking March eighth, and we are talking about how far the Blazers are from ninth place and how far they are from thirteenth place. Just as a reminder of just where we are. Oh, yeah. and by the way, the Lakers don't have LeBron right now. Yeah, and they keep winning. They're actually a solid team. Anthony Davis did you hear had a what, great game last night. Did you hear what Darvin Ham called Anthony Davis? No. He called him Wilt Davis. Mm. He had 30 and 20 last night. He was awesome. I was watching that game. He was he was great. But that's the thing. Like The Lakers have the stars, and they have the talent where the Blazers don't have that high-end talent. They have Dame, and that's it. That's why with Nurt coming back, like he is going to help a lot because as much as Drew Eubanks has helped this season – He's not a starting NBA center. He's probably not even a backup NBA center, to be honest with everybody. Like his defense is very poor. He has he does he does a few things really well, and that is blocking shots at the rim, and that's dunking. That's what he does well. And, <laughs> Sounds and like my fun. game, and that's good. Like, Sounds like my game. It does, and and that is very helpful in yeah. certain circumstances. But when you have to play that guy every single game, every single night, that's where it hurts you. So with Nurt coming back, uh, you know, if the, Blazers, so if the Blazers want to make a run, and it's a tough stretch going forward here with the Blazers, you know, the next five six games, Nurk has to be a part of it. So it is good news that Nurk is back. Uh, tonight against the Celtics, but I would expect the Celtics to uh, win this game. I, I expect them to cover well, this game as well. Okay, so Nurk doesn't move the line at all. That's what I'm getting uh, from you. But is Nurk's availability, his playing in this game, more of a reason to to bet Blazers in the in the points? Yeah, I mean, if you like the Blazers, definitely. Like, you know, it it, it has moved a little bit. It's at nine and a half right now, and it's uh, juice to the Blazers. So I didn't even get down to nine, but my tip off. Okay. But, all right. Uh, yeah, that's a, right. like Nurk. I think Nurk actually is a little bit of a mover for certain certain games, and this yeah. is one of them where the Celtics have a good offense, and he is really relied on by the Blazers, their defensive stopper uh, well, in the pick and roll. Like yeah. that, that's where he has to play really well, and he's actually pretty good at it for how slow he is. He's actually good, so I, I do think it's very helpful that Nurk is coming back, but I, I don't expect the Blazers yeah. to keep it close. And the Celtics have been on this run of losing these like tough heartbreaker games, right? I mean, uh, Brooklyn, New York, and uh, and uh, Cleveland. What do you make of that? Brutal. The way they lost to Cleveland, I mean, I just saw the end of the game, and Grant Williams has a chance to shoot free throws. The game is tied. The game is tied, like, with a second left or less than a second left, and Donovan Mitchell is, like, talking smack to Grant Williams, and Grant Williams is like, watch me. I'm going to make both of these free throws. That's what he said, and he missed both of these free throws, and it goes to overtime, and uh, Cleveland wins in overtime. But uh, this is a rough stretch for Boston. Yeah, that's why I wonder: is like, is it a good time or a bad time to get him? Now, granted, the three teams that they just played are objectively better than the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, I, I just think this happens in an NBA season. Like, we overreact to a lot of different things. Like, the Blazers have won two in a row, so we start talking, "Oh, are they really going to start making a run?" Well, no, because it's just two games in an eighty-two game season. Boston's lost three in a row. Does it make a difference? No. Like, let's look at the bigger example, bigger sample size of that. I just think it's it's one of those things where it's March. It's almost it's almost the playoffs. Boston has been in first and second place the entire year. I think they're just getting a little stale. Uh, but if you just go talent by talent wise, like they should dominate. If, if you had to put money on it right now, Blazers make the play-in. 
Yes or no? Uh, that'd be a no. I don't think that they do. Really? Yeah. What if I told you Nurk plays every game down the stretch? I don't think so. I think it's a no. Wow. Why? I just don't. I just don't think that they're that good, and I, I don't trust Chauncey Billups right now to win games. Their schedule is tough in the next couple of games, and I know people think OKC is going to tank. They've shown really no signs of tanking, and they're a good young team. Same with Utah. Like I expected Utah to fall off at some point this season. They haven't fallen off at all. And then the other team is New Orleans. They're definitely not tanking. Like they are going to try to make that playoffs. They've gone all in. You know, they paid CJ last year. I think I think New Orleans is a better team than Portland. So I just think that. New Orleans is better. The Lakers is better. And I couldn't even argue that I think the Thunder are better than the Portland Trailblazers right now. So I think I just don't think that the Blazers are going to catch up to those yeah. teams, even if Nerd plays. Well, and that's at the bottom of the conference. Uh, there is some drama with some teams at the top of the conference as well. And that is going to be the subject of today's Big Splash. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. John Morant has not been charged. He will not face criminal charges that stemmed from his Instagram live video in which he appeared to display a handgun at a nightclub. This according to Glendale, Colorado Police. They made that announcement this afternoon, but uh, shortly after that announcement was made, the Grizzlies say that Morant will be away from the team for at least four more games. That means the earliest the All-Star guard could potentially return to Memphis is March 17th against the San Antonio Spurs. Glendale police say they conducted an investigation after being alerted to the video streamed on Morant's IG channel and determined that the incident took place at a strip club called Shotgun Willies early Saturday, just hours after the Grizzlies lost to the Nuggets. But they said, quote there, was not enough available evidence to charge anyone with a crime, unquote. So there will be more unfolding from that. But no criminal charges for John Morant, and uh, but he will still remain away from the Memphis Grizzlies team for at least four more games. Earliest he can return is March 17th, and that is today's Big Splash. Another Big Splash happened yesterday, and it's the University of Portland women's basketball team. They're going dancing. They win the West Coast Conference Tournament Championship with an upset over Gonzaga. It was awesome to watch yesterday. Head coach Michael Meek joins us next. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. What an unbelievable comeback by this Portland team. They did a phenomenal job of playing together. They were able to distribute the basketball and get the looks that they wanted. This was a great team effort here by this Portland team. Welcome in Hour 2, Bold Face Truth. Judah Newby in for John Cazzano. John down in Vegas to cover the men's tournament going on also in vegas this past week the west coast conference tournament for both the men and the women and we got a champion right here in the city of portland we've got a champion on the bluff for the second time in three seasons university of portland women's basketball headed to the ncaa tournament 
Don't need that at large. Give me the AQ. Automatic bid. And the pilots are going dancing. Head coach Michael Meek joining us on the BFT. Great to have you back on the program, Coach Meek. Congratulations. How you feeling the day after? Well, thank you, Judah. Yeah, just uh, just awesome. I mean, I, it's such a surreal feeling. I think the, the team feels that way, and we have uh, five seniors that played on that 2020 team that, that you know, kind of made a similar run and, and won the league tournament. But then, of course, the next day the the um, – the, the turn was canceled. So it's just a amazing feeling for them and just the work they put in and uh, the togetherness they've shown and just, just really proud of this team. Guys have to come back against Gonzaga to do it. How, how'd you get that out of your team in the second half? You know, I, 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 I well, one, I just think it's the character of the group. And I think there's, it's just so much about how they care about one another and how much they want this, how much they wanted it for each other and how much they want it for, you know, the senior leader, Haley Andrews, who, you know, is had to be out for half the season and she's just stays with it and she wants it for the team. And, um, and, you know, in the, the year we won it in 2020, I think we were down 20 in the early in that game. So, you know, I, I, I feel like our, our, our team is equipped and, and ready for that type of situation. And, and they're just tough. We had uh, Scott Lakeham on the show yesterday, your athletic director, and yeah. he was telling a story of, of when he was watching you coach at Fox before he brought you on at, at UP and said that there was one game in particular that he watched you interacting with the, the players during a timeout, and then he saw the players respond to, to your messaging out on the court, and he was like, the way they responded to him, I have never seen players respond to their coach like that ever what do you what do you make of that well that that that's nice of him and obviously scott's been awesome and uh maybe maybe he just saw that lucky moment i guess because uh, I, I i do think that the kids in our team that like they know that our coaches care about them and, and want you know want them to have an awesome experience and uh you know i'm proud that people have seen that uh, at the same time I, I i think so much of this is just their response to one another. Um, you know, last night somebody asked me about adjustments at halftime, and, um, you know, I, I do think we made a few changes that were helpful, but I think a lot of it was just Haley's talk and Haley talking to the team. And, you know, I've always been a big believer that, you know, player-led teams are, are so much stronger than coaching-led teams. And I, I think we have one of those teams this year that's really just with Haley and with Alex and with Kelsey and just, so on like we just have incredible leadership do you know that you're going to have a team like that going into the season with that level of camaraderie with that level of level of responsiveness or is that something that kind of manifests at certain moments and then when you when you see it it gets you excited as a coach because you know you got something special well we we knew we this this you know just from a pure talent standpoint and togetherness and confidence with one another i think this is um, you know, we felt really good about coming into this season. And, um, you know, I think what what's made this season so remarkable is that, you know, we midway through the season, Haley Andrews went down with an injury and just the way that they've responded. Um, like we've just had so many players that have stepped up and, and, and have done some things to, um, you know, on the court and, and 
And so that in itself and in leadership in that regard, but I think more importantly, she's just stayed in it, you know, and, and she's like just been another person that's fully engaged in into what's going on. I think that's what makes our team so special is regardless of the role, like everyone knows that they're equally involved and, and have an important part of what's going on. And, and we feel like, you know, win or lose, like everyone's a part of every game. Have you had some people reach out to you and text congratulations? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like quite a few, uh, you know, a few hundred for sure that, <laughs> that, that responded. So it was uh, pretty cool just to hear from people and know that they're, you know, watching and supporting the, the team. And uh, I, I feel like that's that's awesome. And I just I really appreciate that for yeah. for our team because they work so hard and they want this so bad and, and they were just so hungry to get back there, you know, having a chance to win it once before, but not get a go. I, I think they realize how hard it is to get back and uh, to come back and, and do it now in, in 2023. It's just, just awesome. Feel awesome for them for sure. Well, and so in 2020, you win that, that first conference tournament for the program since 1994. And then now you've done it again for the second time in three years. And, I think the meaning of this one certainly is amplified because of the disappointment of of 2020 and uh, and COVID cutting that celebration short. I know it's painful to think about, but if you take me back to to that moment and that experience, um, you know, how do you remember it when your team achieves what they did in 2020, only not to capitalize on it? Well, you know, that year was different in that we were picked to take 10th, which, you know, was last in, in the league. And, uh, you know, we, we had a really solid season and finished fourth. So we got a a really a, a good draw. You know, we had to win three games instead of two like this year. And, and you know, we, we, we were matched up. It worked out perfectly that we matched up against Pacific Gonzaga and San Diego, which happened to be the three teams that we had gone 0-2 against in league. And so, um, you know, that, it just, it was so storybook. And, and so, you know, it just, it went so perfect. And, and all three of those games, like the two this year, were all competitive and they were down to the wire and they were fun games to be at. And, um, you know, and so there, it, it was just one of those things that it was, winning it that year was just like unbelievable and it was just magical and it was truly like the Cinderella team. And, uh, so from that standpoint, it was, it was awesome. Like I think there was just a lot of great feelings about it. And then I remember getting back to campus the next day and, and, and walking in and uh, I think there was a, uh, a TV report going on and it was somebody being interviewed and they, they actually announced it at that moment that the tournament's been canceled. And it was like, Whoa, you know, like, uh, so we had quickly had to have a team meeting, and of course, by that point, most of everyone had heard. And um, you know, it, it was just this—it was just a, a, an incredible time, obviously, in, in, in a different time. But uh, it was—we still had all those great emotions of just winning it the night before, and then, but then also like, wow, our season's done, right? And uh, they're just—I can't even explain the emotions uh, that that went, went on. Michael Meek joining us, the head coach of University of Portland women's basketball, beating Gonzaga. Uh, a lot of talk of that being an upset, uh, Coach Meek. Uh, do you think in those terms as well, or do you go into games expecting to win? How do you characterize the accomplishment of beating that team uh, in Gonzaga? Well, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any question as far as they were picked to win our league and 
they won the league, and you know they the last time we played them, which both games were very competitive. Uh, you know they were without three very good players that were back for this game, and so they were kind of fully loaded. And you know I just think it a lot of it is just our team just staying with it every day and just keep trying to get better and working on things. And uh, I didn't feel going into it that we couldn't get it done by any means, but I also knew that. You know, they're a really good team. They were going to have to play well. And I felt like when when we got down a little bit, I think that in a way that helped us because, it, you know, I think going into it, we had so much more pressure on having to win the game because it was the only way we were getting into the tournament. Um, and then once we kind of got down and just kind of settled in and this the, the competitiveness of our team just really came through and um, it was just it – was, it's just a really fun game and it, it's a tribute to our team and their character and their – desire and their hunger to, to really want to win it this year your daughter is a, a sophomore on the team what's that like coaching your daughter you know i i'm i'm proud of her and just like i am our whole team i mean i really look at this group it's just so many kids that have been here for four years now and um you know i, I thought she had a really solid tournament for us and did some great things and um you know so i i'm I'm really happy with how she's doing, and, and you know, I know that, um, you know, she's she's got just incredible team to be around. And I've said this before, I I feel like the the awesome thing for me is just knowing that she gets to be around such a great group and so many great teammates. And, and for me, it's more fun just to see how well our team gets along and interacts with one another and, and cares about. I mean, she was absolutely crushed when Haley got hurt and, and – um, you know, as was our, the rest of our team and, and still is, you know, like it's still a big thing for our team. And, and that, you know, I think that's why a big reason why our team is pushing to play for her. And, um, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that our team is who they are. Michael Meek joining us uh, for a moment more for those that may not be familiar with your program or, or the roster and they, they go and they check out, you know, who's playing and, there's a lot of Australia. There's a lot of New Zealand on the roster as yeah. well. Can you describe for our listeners how that kind of relationship, that recruiting relationship has come about that's benefited your program, being able to get uh, talent from Australia and New Zealand? And, I mean, we're talking about a lot of notable uh, contributors, including Haley Andrews that you, you've been mentioning and, and getting hurt. But has that always been a, a relationship that you've been able to have uh, get in terms of recruiting from uh, that part of of the world, Australia, New yeah, Zealand, etc. That's definitely something that's been newer. But I, you know, I think if you look at our league and uh, just the whole league is, uh, you know, very heavy international. And um, you know, I think that's something that's really you look at St. Mary's men and um, you know San Francisco women. Just there's there's so many international players throughout our league, and I don't know of a team in our league that doesn't at least have a few and. Uh, it's just it's been a great niche to our recruitment, and uh, I think it's really helped um, you know turn our program in a different direction. And I think I think the big thing for us is that they have just had such a great experience, and it felt like they developed as players and know they're going to be a, a part of a great culture. And I think they've really encouraged you know people they know to just like when they you know they come on visits, like hey, this is a great place to be. You know, this is you're going to be treated right and um, and, and so I think that that has been a big part of, of our growth. And, and, and also it's helping us locally that in this 23 class, we've got a 
great athlete, you know, coming in from Clackamas and Beaverton. And so I think it's really helped our, our, you know, our local recruitment as well. Women's basketball it does so well in our state. And uh, I think there's multiple reasons for that. And, um, but the first thought for, for a lot of people is the success uh, that Scott has had at Oregon state. And I know you know him well that Kelly has had in Eugene, but I think with the, what you're doing at UP, uh, Coach Meek, is coming to the forefront as well in terms of just the outstanding product in women's basketball that we get to enjoy as sports fans in the state of Oregon. I also, you know, been, have had a chance to interact with what Chelsea Gregg is doing uh, on the park blocks as yeah. well, and I yeah. think there's momentum building there. I think we benefit immensely from the caliber of program here. How have you seen the sport of women's basketball, women's college basketball evolve and just be embraced uh, within our sports market and throughout the entire state? Well, you know, obviously I was a high school coach for 15 years in Oregon as well and in 10 years at South Region. Just, you know, I have so much respect for the, the women's basketball coaches and girls' basketball coaches in high school and, and just what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I think it's, per capita has just always been a really strong state for development and, and, and athletes. And, um, you know, I, I, how many like number one kids in the nation have come out of Oregon is just incredible. So um, it's a, it's a great place. And, and obviously there, I think at the college level that there's been a lot of coaches that are doing great and doing great things. And, and we're hoping that we're, becoming you know one of those as well and i and i really feel like with the the way recruiting is going now i think people are really taking notice to to what our team and our players have accomplished i've got charlie cream's uh bracketology up <laughs> yeah. do, do you pay attention to any of this i can i can tell you where he's got you slotted at the moment <laughs> yeah you know i i looked at it this morning a little okay. bit and and you know just to get an idea because this is new right because we didn't get a chance in 2020 to, to go through this process so it's really cool and um so but i i don't know where we are right now i guess got you on the 12th line uh okay playing in austin against louisville on the five line okay and then yeah. uh texas and illinois state would be the 413 game underneath you uh texas is already in with an aq illinois state already in with an aq of course yourselves are in and then uh i guess the acc tournament's still going on but louisville figures to be uh, right there on the five line. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love bracketology. I, I love this stuff. I know as a coach, I mean, yeah. you want to be informed as well, but I mean, you still got to play the waiting game uh, and, and wait for next Sunday. Yeah, I think I think it can give you a little bit of an idea because I think that, you know, he's put a lot of time and work and been around doing this a long time. So he's usually pretty close with the, the kind of the seeding and where teams are somewhat going to fall. Uh, but because of that, you just you don't fully know. You don't know what five seed are you going to be eleven, you know, eleven, twelve, or thirteen, you know, and um, are they going to keep it more geographical? I mean, there's so many factors that go into it that. Uh, but but it definitely is fun to look, and um, you know, we're excited for that selection Sunday on at 5 p.m. just to to find out for real where we're going. Well, and that is notable too. It is selection Sunday. Um... How long has it been back on Sundays? I, I'm so used to the Selection Monday routine uh, for the women's game, but it's now on Sunday, and it's going to be following the the men's selection show at 3 o'clock on CBS, and I know uh, 5 o'clock on ESPN is the women's selection show. I think that's great. I think capitalizing yeah. on that window is important and the right move. 
but I know that hasn't always been the case. Yeah, this is new. Uh, this is definitely a newer concept, and I think it's awesome. And I know our kids are, kids are already excited to find out who we play, and um, definitely exciting time for University of Portland and, and women's basketball here. The excitement is palpable, Coach. Uh, thanks for giving all of us in Portland a reason to, to celebrate your success. Anytime, anytime there's a team in this area that uh, has a chance to shock the world, quote-unquote, yeah. and it's on national television, and they're wearing Portland on the front of the jersey, it's like that gets me fired up. And just thanks for that, and congrats to your team. Best of luck in the NCAA tournament, and I'm sure John will have you back on the show here shortly. Judah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for all your support. You guys have been awesome, and, and good luck to you guys as well. Thank you, sir. There he is, Coach Michael Me- Meek of the West Coast Conference Tournament champion, Portland Pilots. They're going dancing, and COVID's not taking it away from them this time. Congrats to them. Love that. We'll bounce a break. We'll come back, uh, reset that a little bit. We'll also check in live from Vegas and the men's tournament. Wazoo having its way with Cal. Uh, 53-36, seven and a half minutes to go in regulation. Wazoo will play Oregon in all likelihood tomorrow in the quarterfinals. We'll talk with a Washington State beat reporter in the 5 o'clock hour after all of their uh, postgame news conferences get wrapped up as well. Newby in for Kizano. This is the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I love that conversation. Welcome back to the BFT. Judah Newby in for John Kizano. Stephen Vaughn here as well. At Michael Meek, head coach, University of Portland women's basketball. They're going to the dance. Also, digging the muse coming back from break. Thanks for that, Stephen, as well. Um, such a good interview, uh, down to earth, and big win. You know, taking down Gonzaga. Scott Lakeham, the UPAD, joined the show yesterday and was like... <laughs> Yeah, it feels good to beat Gonzaga. It really feels good. Obviously, they're the powerhouse on both the men's and women's sides in uh, in the WCC. But not yesterday. Michael Meek and UP got it done, and they are going to the NCAA tournament. Find the podcast if you missed it at all, and uh, you can find it on 750thegame.com as well. Charlie Cream is the bracketology expert on ESPN. He has Portland on the 12 line playing in Austin, Texas, against five-seed Louisville. And uh, Texas is the four-seed in that pod. Illinois State would be the 13-seed in that pod uh, if it all shakes out accordingly. Washington State, by the way, who got the automatic bid in the Pac-12 conference, is the six-seed in uh, in this bracketology as well. If you're wondering where the Oregon Ducks might be, Charlie Cream has Kelly Graves's squad among his first four out of the tournament. The last four teams in, Miami, Marquette, Purdue, and the Princeton Tigers. Go Tigers. And among the first four out, St. John's, West Virginia, Oregon, and Arkansas. But we shall see Selection Sunday for the women's bracket. Be mindful of that, not Selection Monday. Selection Sunday 
is just after the uh, men's selection show. 3 o'clock on CBS for the men, 5 o'clock on ESPN for the women. Uh, Stephen Vaughn, a lot of fun to uh, to talk to Coach Meek and uh, UP women's basketball. When we, we were watching it together on the TV yesterday and just like, they, they're going to do this thing. I kind of gave up, I'll be honest. It was a double-digit uh, deficit at one point midway, you know, third quarter, and they erased it, got the lead, and didn't look back. Yeah, I told you at the start of March, Judah, you know, like I'm not going to get a lot of work done with all the basketball going on. And so, like, when these games are on, like, I can't do work. I'm, I'm cheering for University of Portland. Like, I'm going <laughs> for it. Like, it's awesome to see. And, it, you know, you hear Coach Meek talk about it, just how important it is to get to the NCAA tournament, how much fun they're having, and just the unknown. Like, it's like I've always said, that's like my biggest dream, make the NCAA tournament, and it's never going to happen for me anymore. I'm too old. I'm 36. I'm never going to make it, Judah. How much eligibility do you have? I wish I had some, but it's, so it's like I just live through it, and I just I, I just love all the all the emotions that these kids show and the coaches show as yeah. well. Like, I just think it's such a cool story, um, and it's awesome. You know, local story here, University of Portland. Great to see them upset Gonzaga. Like, who doesn't want to see well, Gonzaga lose? And the point you made yesterday, I think, is, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> who doesn't like to see Gonzaga lose? Uh, the point you made yesterday is, like, well, in this world where NIL, pound your chest, um, individuation of the star collegiate athlete, the freshman athlete, that hasn't really done anything yet, but, hey, look at me because I got an NIL deal. That's only going to get worse, or at the very least, bigger, depending on if you want to take a good or bad standard. It's only going to get larger, that NIL amplification. So to see the rawness, to see the, um, I think, the authenticity of it all, and for some reason it seems to come through in the women's game more than the men's game, in my opinion. And it came through yesterday on the faces of all all the girls playing at UP, and uh, it was awesome. I had a very, you know, a similar thing, and obviously the the Portland Thorns have have had a turbulent last year or so. But when they won the whole thing yesterday, uh, last year, it was on CBS national TV audience in Washington D.C. It's like that's a team from Portland playing for it all and winning it all. Like I'm from here, I'm gonna root for that. I'm gonna get on board with that, and I think that's awesome. And I had a similar feeling yesterday with with what Michael Meek did with uh, with the Portland Pilots, and now they get to go dancing, and we all we know it's against the backdrop of having that opportunity taken away from them in COVID uh, a few years ago. And we, we forget what Kelly had with Oregon that year was probably going at least to the final four, probably winning the whole damn thing. And they didn't get to have that chance either. That remains one of the biggest what ifs I think in our, in our city's sports history. Yeah. Also on the men's side, Peyton Pritchard had that run as well. Like they were, they were clicking at that time, but the thing about, you know, the women's side here. Like, I feel like Portland and Oregon, the whole state in general, really supports women's sports, right? And I think it's a really good thing as they deserve all the support. You know, you, you talked about it and Coach Meek talked about it, just how good high school basketball is here in the state of Oregon. Um, you know, my wife has been coaching in that type of world hmm. for a while, so I've seen some of it. Like, we support the team and we want a WNBA team here. There's been a lot of talk about that. So, like, to get that type of win over Gonzaga, get the support of the whole state, I, I think it's great. 503-417-7575. I think we're going to get that WNBA team back at some point. It's uh, going to happen. I know uh, Ron Wyden is pushing for it. A lot of people pushing for it. Hopefully we can add that WNBA team uh, to the market as well. And, um, you know, we've had one before. 
We can have one again, and we would embrace the heck out of it. Jackie Styles when it comes back. Come on, legend. Yeah, uh, we should get her on the show. Talk about it. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. We'll bounce to break. We'll come back. We'll hit on some NFL notes. Gino here for the long haul. Going to talk about that. Is he? What is good question? What is going on with Lamar? And uh, in Aaron Rodgers, what's up? What's next with that? Steven's favorite topic, Aaron Rodgers. Mm. And uh, we'll get to a little bit more. We'll have a live hit from Vegas in the five o'clock hour as well. Nubian for Kazano on the Bold Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kazano on 750 The Game. It did get me thinking about what are the biggest what-ifs in the sports history of the city of Portland, the state of Oregon. The biggest what-ifs. I'll take your submissions. 503-417-7575. This coming off of having Michael Meek, the uh, women's basketball coach at UP, on the show. They're going to the tournament. Uh, They got the automatic bid. In 2020, they were among those teams that were going to the NCAA tournament and then had that opportunity cut short because of COVID-19. And so we never got to see it. I was talking about Kelly Graves and that women's basketball team at Oregon just loaded. Experienced, hungry, back for more, back to get back to a Final Four after going there in uh, in 2019. And... uh, falling short in the semifinal that year in a competitive game. They were coming back for it all. They were coming for it all. And Sabrina leading the charge. And they didn't get that opportunity. Steven, you mentioned Peyton Pritchard and the Duck men surging at the right time, right? And uh, they didn't get their opportunity either. If memory serves, that was right before. Wasn't Oregon going to play Oregon State in the Pac-12 tournament? And it was like right before that game was tipping off or or something, right around then. That's when it all got canceled and, and brought to a halt. And uh, I might have to look that up. But that's I remember it was something like that. I think we were going to get a Ducks-Beeves game in the, uh, in the first round of the 2020 Pac-12 tournament. And we ultimately obviously didn't get to see it because moments before the game, they suspended play and it all came to a screeching halt, and then obviously wouldn't be played again. Do I have that right, Stephen? Yeah, you do, because uh, Oregon State hit the game-winning three. Uh, I believe it was Jared Lucas in the corner. To beat Utah. To beat Utah in the first round, and it was going to be the Ducks who were the one seed taking on Oregon State, the eight seed. That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, I remember that Jared Lucas shot, and, and huge win for the Beavers in the first round of the tournament, of the Pac-12 tournament, and it was going to be Beavs versus Ducks in the quarterfinals, and... Uh, Right before that one got started, you know, it got halted. So, you know, to me, those are some of the biggest what-ifs. We were talking sports cards earlier in the show, and uh, we've got Larry on Twitter, one of our our better uh, Twitter followers, and he was uh, tweeting out pictures, and one one of his cards that he has is Sam Bowie. I mean, that has to be at the top of the what-ifs list. Both had Sam Bowie never gotten hurt, but also what if... 
the Trailblazers took Jordan over Bowie, and of course we all know the domino of of debate points from there. We didn't need another two. We had Drexler and all that good stuff, depending on what side of the fence you fall on. I think that's one of the biggest what-ifs. I'm also seeing on Twitter as well, to keep it in Blazer Big Man territory, uh, the Twitter account NBA Central, which just, it just, you know, circles through content related to the association. Some of it's, like, current, some of it's not. But today they had a picture of Greg Oden with the tweet, uh, Greg Oden used to stay in the house for two weeks straight and felt too ashamed to go outside after leaving Portland. He said, quote, I just secluded myself from everybody. I felt like a loser. I just felt like a failure. I felt like I let a lot of people down, letting Portland down, letting the whole entire staff and organization down. I felt like I let my family down and everybody who coached me and believed in me. And uh, that was from a piece that was actually published this morning on TheRinger.com. Marin Fader had a sit-down with Greg Oden, uh, who is on the sidelines at Butler now as an assistant coach. So around the game, part of the game. Uh, he's been on the show with John uh, more than once especially at the beginning of his career with the Trailblazers. He was on here saying that he wanted to be a dentist. Uh, growing up as a kid, he didn't really want to be a basketball player. He wanted to be a dentist. And uh, so there was a piece on The Ringer about Greg Oden today, and, and that co- quote was circling around. Like, he, he was just – it was hard for him to kind of cope with the way that his career unfolded in the NBA at large and, of course, Portland specifically – and you got a lot of good reaction to this. I mean, Tyler Lockett, the Seahawks receiver, uh, quote tweeted it and said, I hope someone can let him know that he hasn't let anyone down. Sure, he may not have lived up to other people's expectations, but who cares? I hope someone can tell him that all this sports stuff is giving us a head start in life when we enter the real world. You are enough, Greg. And uh, Tyler Lockett is a, well, I mean, this guy is incredibly well-rounded smart guy and and one of the top advocates of mental health with athletes in particular. So I'm not surprised to see that reaction coming from Tyler Lockett, but um, you know, it's good to read this piece on Greg and see how he's doing, but that also goes into one of the bigger what ifs in the history of sports in our state and, and in our region. What if Greg Oden had become a player that was more akin to the number one overall pick? Uh, let alone someone that just couldn't stay on the on the court and stay healthy at all. I mean, I remember, dude. I mean, we all remember uh, the hype around Greg Oden and, and the 07 draft and having the number one overall pick and the Oden-Durant debates. Um, and, I look, I loved Kevin Durant. I loved Texas. Like, that was my team. I loved Rick Barnes. I loved everything about that. I don't think they won an NCAA tournament game. I'm pretty sure they lost to Taj Gibson and USC in the first round that year. But I I was on the Greg Oden bandwagon. I mean, I, I was thinking, man, like, you need a big. A big is perfect for what this team needs right now. The best big in college basketball. Like, this is going to be perfect. It's going to be the best. And I remember going to a couple of games in Oden's rookie year or and his second year. And, of course, obviously he's battling injury throughout both of these years. But um, the buzz in the arena when he would catch the ball in the post. 
and they would just kind of set him up and like feed it into him, and then it's Odin back to the basket, go to work. There was this electricity in Moda Center that I, I I was still, you know, I was like a freshman in high school maybe at the time, and I was like, dude, this is amazing. <laughs> this electricity and this feeling of potential and hope and optimism and like, what is he gonna do? With the ball in those isolated moments, like I will always remember the feeling I had watching him ISO ball in the low block, get to work. Let's see what we have in Greg Oden. And guess what? A couple of games, a long stretch of the season in one of those years, I think it was year two, he was freaking dominant. Like he was a great, great player. Um, and to have all that unravel, you know, is is just one of the more unfortunate, unfortunate things. Um you know, for Greg and of course for for Rip City, what is it about injuries and great players in Portland Trail Blazers uniforms that cuts potential short? Are we a tragic uh, sports market? I don't know. I I I don't like embracing that moniker or or staring into that. Even though there's plenty of heartbreak with the franchise and the Blazers in in particular, um, you know, I don't like doing the "woe is me" thing. But between Odin, Bowie, Brandon Roy's knees, you know, different things here or there, I just wonder what if sometimes, what if, with the Blazers in particular. Stephen, what do you remember from uh, Greg Odin early as a trailblazer? Yeah, it wasn't, because it wasn't just like a championship. It was talk of like championships, plural. Like Greg Odin was going to bring it apart. Like there was a lot of hype coming in uh, with Greg Odin. And you're right, like the last 15 games before he got hurt in Portland, he was averaging 13 points, shooting 61%, two and a half blocks a game. Like he was really playing well. And uh, I mean, I was I was in college, I was freshman college. I remember going down to the Moda Center and getting a Greg Oden shirt, like when they drafted him. Uh, I was I wrote a whole giant paper in college about the Blazers' past, present, future, and Greg Oden was the future. Like it was an exciting time, and it's just too bad that what happened because – he was going to be good. Like, it didn't even worst case scenario, he was going to be a really good athletic big man. And I think that was the thing is like, he may not have been the superstar that everyone thought he was going to be, but he was going to be a very serviceable player. And to have him alongside LaMarcus and Brandon Roy, like, that is a three. A three-headed monster that is a really good team. Like, Man. those guys fit together really well. So it's just— So it wasn't the wrong draft pick. No, I, I still contend that that was the right pick, obviously. But it is what if now of, like— what if Blazers had Durant and Kevin Bever, Brand Roy? Like it, it would be so different. But uh, you know, at the time, it was the right pick, and I still contend it was the right pick because that's what the Blazers needed, and he still had all the potential at that time in the NBA. Big men were still very important. Um, but yeah, it, it's just too bad. And I, you know, I go back and I always watch uh, you know one shiny moments during March because I just love March. And I went past the one where Ohio State got to the national title game, and man, Greg Oden was awesome in that tournament. You go look at those stats yeah. against Joakim Noah, Al Horford. He had like a 20 and 10 game in the national championship game. It was awesome. Like he was, he was best player on the court at the end of the loss. And it was that type of stuff that you see. And you're like, man, that would have been so cool to see in a Portland uniform. I remember, you know, him and Mike Conley jr. Had a symbiosis symbiosis. That was uh, hard to deny. I think Odin had a wrist injury and he had to shoot free throws left-handed or something like that. That's what I remember that final four and it was like even banged up Odin like he was still doing stuff. Was that did UCLA make it with Kevin Love right around was that that same Russell Westbrook Kevin Love final four team? Uh yeah, that was. So, uh Ohio State they played I believe Georgetown 
to yes. get to that game. And then yeah. Florida played UCLA. Greg Oden in, in that national championship game, 25 points, 12 rebounds, four block shots, 10 to 15 shooting against Al Horford, Joakim Noah, Corey Brewer, all those guys. Like, that's the type of potential that that guy had. And, and the plays that he made were just so athletic. Yeah. This is something you hadn't seen with a guy that big. 503-417-7575. Greatest what-ifs in uh, your favorite sports team's history. Feel free to uh, shout them out here. And, of course, uh, talking Blazers and, and teams from our state as well. Feel free to shout them out. Uh, we'll get to some NFL talk coming up next. We'll also check in live from Vegas in the Pac-12 tournament in the 5 o'clock hour. Newbie in for Kanzano on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Newbie in for Gonzano, JC down in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. If you're listening in the Portland area, it's almost bracket time. You can go to 750thegame.com, enter our perfect bracket challenge for a chance to win a million dollars. Good luck with that. Uh, I know uh, I'll be trying. This is the year that I get a perfect bracket. I know this is the year I'm winning. So Yeah, come on. Uh, we should probably get a bracket group going here for the station. Well, yeah. I All mean, three of us. <laughs> it's gonna be tough. Big buy-in. Can we get can we get a hold of everybody? That's the that's the thing. Great question. Who knows? Um Lamar Jackson does not get a deal with the Baltimore Ravens. He gets the non exclusive franchise tag. Which is about thirty-two million, a little over thirty-two million for one year. Not to be confused with the exclusive franchise tag, forty-five million for a year, guarantee. The exclusive franchise tag would have kept Lamar with the Ravens. Boom, he's there. They still have until sometime in July to get a long-term deal done if they wanted, but he's going to be a Raven. But this franchise tag that Baltimore gave him at yesterday's deadline, the non-exclusive variety, means that starting March 13th, Lamar Jackson can talk to other teams and uh, see what kind of market there is for him. If someone wants Lamar Jackson and they can get a long-term deal with the guaranteed money that Lamar wants, maybe it's all guaranteed. We'll see. Of course, he's representing himself and his mom is helping him along the way. No agent in place there. Um, if they got if they get a deal that Lamar wants and Lamar likes, Lamar can sign that offer sheet. And then it becomes a little bit more akin to the restricted free agency that we see in the NBA. And, you know, the 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 team can Lamar's current team can match that offer sheet, but if they choose not to match the offer sheet, unlike the NBA, big compensation goes back the other way. Two first round picks would go from the team that signs Lamar Jackson back to the Baltimore Ravens. And of course, Lamar would get the the big deal, the guaranteed money, the long-term security that at 26 years old and a former MVP of the national football league, he thinks he des- deserves. And I can't blame him for thinking that way, whether or not that's realistic or going to happen. I don't know. 
A little bit surprising that apparently the market, the public market for Lamar Jackson is uh, a little shallower. The pool is a little shallower than we might have expected. One of those teams, the Atlanta Falcons, who some uh, would say that's a natural fit. It's a really, really, I like that fit. Arthur Smith, the style of offense that they run over there, uh, could really make a lot of sense. Got heavy tight end sets, right? Heavy running game personnel in Atlanta, by the way, sneaky good running game last year. Um, Tyler Algier had a really great year, went over a thousand yards. Uh, uh, if you play fantasy with a pretty deep league, you know you know him, the old BYU guy. Um, obviously, Mariota was there. Marcus had an up and down year, got released by Atlanta. They've got Desmond Ritter, the third round pick out of Cincinnati, that they'll likely turn to a quarterback right now, but. It kind of, you know, Atlanta was one of those teams. Was like, I could kind of, I could see Lamar Jackson with Atlanta, and reports were quick to to come out and say, Atlanta, we're not interested. You know, the media arm of the Falcons themselves basically reported on themselves, saying, Yeah, we're not in the market for Lamar Jackson. So whether or not you think that's a wise move or, or a good move, that's one team that. You would think, hey, they've got the cap room. Maybe they've got the interest. They've got the offensive philosophy that they could, you know, send big money over to Lamar Jackson's way. But they're choosing not to do it. Now, who who else does that leave? I mean, Miami is out there. You never know what their deal with Tua is. You know, Mike McDaniel coming out and saying that Tua's, you know, concussion history has no bearing on being able to come to a long-term contract with him. And I'm like, okay, Mike, uh, good line, good line. You're lying. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he's got to say that, obviously. He's got to say that. But to think that Miami is comfortable with offering something long-term to Tua is silly, short-sighted. I think Lamar would be pretty interesting in a Mike McDaniel structured offense off the Shanahan tree. It'd be pretty interesting. I mean, it's basically what Kyle was trying to do with Trey Lance, and it just hasn't manifest uh, for one reason or another, injuries notwithstanding. Lamar in Miami? Ah, I could get excited about that. But it's also Miami who would have to give two first-round picks back to Baltimore, who doesn't even have a first-round pick this year because the NFL took it away from them. So it's not like they're just littered with assets. I mean, this kind of deal, two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson, while... Uh, reason, reasonable, you could justify it. It's it's heavy. It's costy. You could justify it. 26-year-old former MVP with, with his in his prime, arguably with at least one or two more prime years in front of him. I would say more, but he gets hurt, right? He, he doesn't get through a full season. How much of his health in question this past season was playing games a little bit, right? Trying to keep himself preserved for this offseason, for the next round of negotiations, not wanting to get further injured on his knee, which everybody was comparing to what happened to Robert Griffin III in 2012 when he gets hurt after a dynamic rookie season. His knee's banged up. His knee's vulnerable. It's compromised. He's on his way to win rookie of the year. He probably should have sat the rest of that year and let Kirk Cousins finish it out in Washington. He doesn't. He comes back. He wants to be the leader of his team. Admirable on so many levels, but he's clearly compromised. They win the NFC East. They host the Seahawks in the wild card game. Daniel Snyder's field is awful. 
straight garbage, in the words of Mike Gundy, and RG3 gets hurt in the wild card game. Now, Seattle was probably going to win anyway, but it certainly helped. And uh, Seattle wins the game 24-14, and RG3 is really never the same after, you know, just coming on the scene in a whirlwind, but playing on a compromised knee. Lamar Jackson is saying, I ain't doing that. So, I'm not coming back to Baltimore until I'm ready, until I feel like it. And trying to read between all the lines was really confusing and really tough. And it was hard to say, is he actually hurt? Is he keeping his best interests in mind for this coming offseason? Was a little bit of both. And how is it going to affect negotiations? Well, the Ravens just stared Lamar in the face and said, we're not giving you guaranteed money, and we're not giving you a long-term deal. Here's the non-exclusive tag. Deal with it. And here we go. We'll see what happens March 13th. Final hour coming up on the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano. Here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. Final hour of the program. You can call in at 503 417 7575. We'll check in live from Vegas this hour with uh, Washington State beat reporter who covers uh, Cougars and Cougars men's basketball. That's the team that the uh, Ducks are going to get tomorrow. Colton Clark covers Washington State hoops for the Spokesman Review. He'll join us this hour as well. Cal, in all likelihood, has got to fire Mark Fox. Uh, John Wilner is tweeting out that he expects the firing of Mark Fox by tomorrow at noon for that to happen. Not official quite yet. Canzano took uh, Cal to task yesterday. That was a lot of fun. Apparently, Canzano's been uh, freezed out by the athletic director at Cal. And uh, then JC went on the record yesterday saying, that dude needs to be fired as well as Mark Fox. Uh, Just not a good fit at Cal. And it just reminds me, man, it's like Justin Wilcox turned down the Oregon job to stay at Cal? Seems like the support there ain't so good, Justin. I wonder, in retrospect, is he still okay with that or what? But remember in the chaos of Mario leaving and uh, Dan being hired on, there was that stretch of the job being offered to Justin Wilcox and uh, him saying, no, thank you. Now, a lot of that could be because of the, the say that he had or didn't have in hiring an assistant coaching staff. And maybe he just didn't like that, but... The former Duck coming home to coach the Ducks and so many people wanting that to happen. Justin says no. And seeing what kind of support that he's getting in Berkeley right now, that athletic department does not look impressive. Um, And Cal football is in a perilous time. Obviously, Cal basketball as well. Getting rocked by Wazoo, exiting stage left. Mark Fox may join him there as well. In the meantime, let's play the 5 at 5. The five at five. Story number one, Calvin Ridley reinstated by the National Football League. He is now playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was suspended for an entire season because of gambling on the NFL. And uh, they said the league said that that is a no-no. And it's such a big no-no that we're going to suspend you. And we're going to suspend you for the entire season. This guy is a great player. One of uh, Matt Ryan's favorite targets in Atlanta when he was there. 
first round pick back in 2018 out of Alabama, 28 years old, right in the prime of his career. Jacksonville ends up trading for him. And uh, Calvin Ridley wrote in a piece on the Players Tribune today. He said, quote, I was just effed up, period. In a dark moment, I made a stupid mistake. I wasn't trying to cheat the game. That's the thing I want to make clear. At the time, I had been away from the team for about a month. I was still just so depressed and angry, and the days were so long. I was just looking for anything to take my mind off of things and make the day go faster. And uh, he bet on the NFL. I do remember that. Like he he was already away from the team for personal reasons, and then started betting on the NFL while he was away from the team. And that's when the NFL came in and said, "Whoa." Can't be having this. You're going to sit the season. That's tough, dude. That guy's a talented player. How about the Jags skill position guys now? If, yeah. Ridley, if Ridley comes back, and again, you don't know how he's going to be mentally, but if he comes back, him, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, they brought back on franchise tag, Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence, Zay Jones. Jaguars team's looking pretty solid. Yeah. I really like, uh, I really like what they got. And Doug pulling all the strings. Can't believe the Chargers lost that game. The hell are we doing? Some of it, a lot of it's on Justin too. I can't, I can't say it's not. Like, got to make some throws in the second half, man. We've talked about this. Like, you have got to make some more aggressive throws when it matters most. Uh, that that might be a topic for another day, but we'll get to Justin Herbert as well. And I love Justin. Don't get me wrong. I think future is only bright for him. But you can't be losing thirty point leads in the playoffs. You can't. And everybody's at fault for that, including Justin Herbert. But yeah, the Jaguars, the Jaguars' future is bright, and excited to see how uh, Calvin Ridley plays into that. The Arizona Cardinals. This is number four, or number two, I guess, of the five at five. Cardinals have released receiver Robbie Anderson, uh, marking the end of his brief career in Arizona. If you remember last year, the Panthers got Robbie Anderson. Uh, the Cardinals got Robbie Anderson, I should say, from the Panthers in a midseason trade after. He just lost his mind on the sideline of a game in Los Angeles with Carolina. And then hours later, he got traded from Carolina to Arizona. Uh, but now the Card- the Cardinals have released him. 29-year-old Robbie Anderson, no touchdowns with the Cardinals. He had uh, one touchdown with Carolina last year, and Arizona saves $12 million in cap space with this move. Elsewhere, uh, number three in the five at five, the Pelicans have an update on the health of Zion Williamson. He is going to miss at least the next two weeks, continuing to recover from a strained right hamstring that has sidelined him since early January. Zion injured his hamstring January 2nd against the Sixers and then suffered a setback just before the All-Star break, February 12th. And uh, in a statement today, the Pelicans say that Zion was recently reevaluated. Medical imaging showed his hamstring continuing to heal, but he's going to need at least the next two weeks when the next examination takes place. How worried are we that this is just going to be the thing with Zion? Injuries, one thing or another, and playing a full season, healthy, not likely for him. Very worried. And the thing about it is, Judah, like, Going into that draft, one-two was Zion and Jaw, and I I remember saying I like Jaw better than Zion because I know what you're going to get out of Jaw Morant. We've seen guys like him in the NBA thrive and play well. Zion is such a unique body type we've never seen it. I know there's been comparisons to Barkley, but like 
Barkley wasn't as explosive as Zion. We've never seen a guy that size and that explosive. And so there were so many injury concerns. But if it hits and it works out, he could be the best player, like best player in the league. That's how good he is. But we just never seen it with that body type. And so far in his brief NBA career, his body has failed him. I don't know that it's going to get any better because the fact and you know the 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 weight he puts on his body with the explosives that he had, like he's so quick and shifty. It's got to be take a toll on that body, man. And I, yeah. I don't, just don't know if he'll ever have it where he'll be able to stay healthy for an entire season. The important question, is he rehabbing uh, here in Portland like he was last year? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I haven't heard that. I know he was last year, but I don't know about this year. Uh, number four of the five at five, Jim Beheim, 47 seasons. And is he retiring? Is he not retiring? He He's not coming back to Syracuse. But I did notice that ESPN is putting it on their website. They're saying that it's Bayheim not returning to Syracuse. They're not calling it a retirement. Because I saw Syracuse, Syracuse announced that he won't be back. Syracuse announced that he won't be back. So Jim Bayheim not retiring. He'll be coaching at Florida Gulf Coast next year with the 2-3 zone. Cal, he'll be like Cal next year. <laughs> You'll take over from Mark Fox. Uh, no, I'd, I'd be shocked if uh, Jim Beheim is coaching anywhere. But, yes, uh, it did come out today. At long last, Jim Beheim won't be back with Syracuse where he spent 47 seasons. One of the greatest college basketball coaches ever. I guess I guess you have to say that. Um, not the most likable fellow, depending on who you are. But that 2003 Syracuse team, I uh, continue to hold in high regard in my memory. Of course, with Carmelo. Jerry McNamara, Akeem Warwick, all those guys beating Kansas in 03. That's the lone national title for Jim Beheim. And number five, Pac-12 tournament, men's tournament getting underway today. Uh, UCLA is going to be without Jalen Clark for this tournament and for the rest of the season. Uh, reports say that UCLA forward Jalen Clark out for the season with an Achilles injury suffered the injury in the regular season finale against Arizona. And uh, Mick Cronin said it was a lower leg injury and he's going to be out for the year. This is the conference's defensive player of the year. Second team all-conference honors for Jalen Clark. And now UCLA, who doesn't really play a deep rotation in the first place, now going to be without the defensive player of the year, Stephen. How tough is that for the Bruins, not only in Vegas, but for the tournament in general? I think it's tough. Uh, you know, like you said, defensive player of the year. UCLA, you know, you always think you know, run and gun, fun, LA. They were the second best defense in the nation this season. Adjusted defense on Ken Palm. Like, that's how good they were. And he was the main part. Like he was everywhere on the court. He would guard guys one through five, point guard, center. It didn't matter. Like he was the man that was put on the best players and he would switch and do all that. I think it's gonna be a big it's gonna be a big miss because they got the offensive pieces. But it's those role players that you need. And you're right. You know, UCLA does not play a lot of players on that squad. I liked UCLA maybe to win the whole thing. But now with Jalen Clark out, it, it makes me second guess it. I got to see the matchups. But I think it's a huge loss uh, for UCLA. That is our 5-5. Five and five, five big uh, stories going on in sports. We'll bounce a break and come back. And next, we'll go live to Vegas and talk with Washington State beat reporter Colton Clark. Cougars took care of Cal today. They get the Ducks tomorrow. Colton Clark joins us next from Vegas on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. 
back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. In a little bit, in a few minutes here, we'll check in live from Vegas with Colton Clark. Covers Washington State men's basketball, covers Washington State athletics uh, for the Spokesman Review. He'll join us uh, from Vegas. Ducks and Cougars tomorrow at uh, 2.30 in the quarterfinals. That's the matchup that we're going to get there. Pac-12 tournament underway in Vegas. Uh, Judah Newby in for John Canzano, by the way, here on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. Appreciate you guys uh, being along for the ride. Uh, some of the action so far, Colorado and Washington played in the 8-verse-9 game. Colorado wins it 74-68. They're moving on to the quarterfinals. We'll see what the uh, future of Mike Hopkins is with UW. Uh, talking about Jim Beheim earlier today, Hopkins the Beheim disciple. Uh, he's gone through, you know, some ups and downs with the Huskies. And uh, they finish flat 500 on the year, 16-16 and 16 overall after this loss to Colorado. And then Washington State, they just beat Cal 69-52. Will, in all likelihood, be the end of the line for Mark Fox, the Cal head coach. And uh, we'll await that announcement when it gets made. Washington State, though, the five seed, they do advance, and they will play the four seed, Oregon, tomorrow at 2.30 in the quarterfinals. At 6 o'clock, Stanford plays Utah. Betting line on that? Pick them. Who you want? Stanford? Utah. Uh, that should be a good one. A different betting line on the last game tonight. Oregon State, Arizona State, 830, Pac-12 Network. The betting line there, ASU minus 11. Didn't we see this game? When John Cazano did a show from uh, Spirit Mountain Casino the Thursday before the Super Bowl, or it was, uh, it was, you know, a week before the Super Bowl, we went down to Spirit Mountain, had a big show. By the way, we're going to do that again on Monday. So if you are interested, if you're around, head on out to Spirit Mountain Casino. Go check out John Cazzano and uh, and the crew. Steven will be down there as well, and we're going to have a good old time uh, with Spirit Mountain Casino. So that's happening again Monday, so heads up there. Uh, but we did a show, and was it, was it that day, Steven, that the Beavers were playing the Sun Devils? Uh, yeah, it was down in Tempe. Because uh, we were talking about that matchup. Wasn't it a similar point spread, too? It was, it was 12 and a half, if I remember correctly. Okay. Oregon State was up at halftime. They were having a really nice game, and it, we talked about it. Me, me and John both made the bet on Oregon State plus the points. It ended up cashing at the very end, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out that way again. Arizona State, very inconsistent team and not a great shooting team. And we saw in the first half of the Washington-Colorado game, Judah, it was like 16 to 10 after like, you know, uh, I, I think I tweeted out Washington had 18 points in 14 minutes or something yeah. like that. Like it was a very low scoring first half of the game. So I, you know, people, you know, guys have a hard time adjusting to the to the way you look at it in, in that big arena. So I wouldn't be surprised if Arizona State comes out and struggles during the basketball. You know, Wayne Tinkle is going to have some type of zone that he's going to throw out Arizona State, make them prove that they can shoot it. I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon State hangs around for longer than we expect, but Arizona State should get the win at the end of the day. They absolutely should. And uh, should they win, they would advance to play USC, correct? The three seed in a 3-6 game. How would you size that one up? Yeah, I mean, that would basically be a, a win and you're in, almost in the NCAA tournament type of thing. I mean, I think Arizona State, 
USC might be in even with a loss. I think Arizona State has to get the win over USC, but I do think it's a win in your end for both those teams, and it'll be really interesting one. I think I like USC in that one, but I, I can't wait to watch it. I said that USC is getting overlooked because everybody was talking about UCLA. They were talking about uh, Arizona, obviously, as well. Jalen Clark injury you know, might hamper UCLA a little bit. John is obviously really bullish on Oregon. You're not so much on Oregon. Uh, I, I put forward USC, and I put forward Washington State. And I don't know. What do you think about USC? Dangerous as a three, or are they just kind of – they're good, but they're not going to be an elite team or a great team? Yeah, I don't know that they're necessarily a great team. Um, they're one of those teams that can beat anybody on any given day. They've beaten UCLA this year when UCLA was healthy, but they've also lost to some really bad teams. Very consistent, but very talented team as well. You know, Boogie Ellis is their main main guy, best player. Uh, he, he's a good guard. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're a good team that I think could make a run, but I don't expect it to be because they're not having it consistent all year. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, 503-417-7575, if you've got a thought or a pick on the men's Pac-12 tournament, John Cazano is down there uh, covering it. Be sure to uh, read him up on johncazano.com. Get that newsletter. Get that subscription. Uh, it's a lot of fun to, to follow along with JC. Uh, and he'll check in with us throughout the tournament as well here on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. Uh, working on securing a connection right now with someone who is also covering the Pac-12 tournament live in Vegas. And uh, Colton Clark covers Washington State Athletics for the spokesman review and he joins us on the line right now from vegas colton thanks for joining us man how you doing hey great thanks for having me guys yeah appreciate it i know you're uh you're, you're gutting it out a little bit we got all kinds of electrical interference probably in the arena and uh, all sorts of things but you've you're gutting it out you're you're getting on the show and i appreciate that yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, I don't know what the deal was. If it's Wi-Fi or if I just have too many interview recordings, but I could not do anything with my phone. So I appreciate you guys being patient with me. We appreciate you. All right, you cover the Cougars. They had no problem with Cal. 69-52. The Cougs moving on to the quarterfinals. I know it was an expected result, Colton, but bullet points from this one, how'd it come about? Oh, well, you know, uh, I think underrated uh, Wazoo's one of the, I would say, top five defensive teams in the in the conference, and that's kind of what Kyle Smith, you know, prides his, his teams on. And so, uh, first half actually matched their best defensive half in in terms of point total, and it was it was kind of one of those because they they couldn't really get the shooting going, and they've had streaky stretches like that. So, I think first and foremost is that first half was one of their best defensive halves of the season, and then you know, fourteen points at that point, and then kind of uh, you know helped steady from there. Uh, got a little bit more offense going. Uh, Cal did as well, but yeah. And then second half was shared scoring. The uh, as Smith just said, the veterans carried him down the stretch. Uh, uh, T.J. Bomba, especially, I think he scored nine of his, of his seventeen in the last two minutes and forty seconds, just to put that away when it got to eleven. Uh, yeah, and uh, led by double digits the entire second half, as many as twenty-one. Um, yep, and went three for three against Cal this year, and. Improved uh, seven straight games, uh, seven straight wins for the Cougs, which is their uh, best winning streak in uh, against conference opponents in 40 years. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, the vibes are high in Pullman right now, uh, Colton. After what the women did in, in the Pac-12 tournament, and the men are are riding high. It's it's fun to see. I know Oregon really valued that buy and, and getting the four seed 
avoiding a first round game and able to uh to get you know one day off uh were the cougars at all i mean you get to play cal it's kind of a nice appetizer in a way to get ready for the quarterfinals uh and it's fairly stress-free but were they disappointed at all to get to get the five and not get the bye or was that any kind of advantage one way or the other uh, you know, I don't. I, I don't think so. Maybe playing. Uh, uh, I think maybe they were more surprised. Not surprised, but surprising to fans or people on the outside that they were the five, and because they were, you know, they're ten and fifteen a, a few weeks ago, and it seemed like postseason chances were buried. But to, to jump up into the, the top half of the of the conference, I think was is it, it, they haven't really voiced anything about. Oh, you know, we deserve to be uh, in, in the you know, by conversation just because they had such a, uh, a kind of a mm. such streaky start back and, you know, up and down and, and finally start, started to put it together. So many injuries and newcomers. And that was kind of the, and the whole season started off with a couple of big injuries, the season ending uh, health issues. And, and uh, so I think just being in the, in the top half of the second year in the row in a row is, is a, a, you know, a welcome accomplishment for this team. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a, an advantage. People talk about it. I don't know if it's an advantage to, to, to play and maybe get warmed up or to have the buy and uh, have that rest. So I guess that remains to be seen. They get the Ducks tomorrow, 2.30 in the quarterfinals. What are your initial thoughts on the matchup? Oh, man, I, I'd like to see. I, I, I don't know. I, I just have a feeling it will be like the game in Pullman. It, it, I don't know who would win. You know, I'm no like, expert on that, on making predictions and, and everything. But that game was so entertaining. It was there was almost no separation. Both teams are so seem similarly talented and like they match up really well against each other. Even that game in Eugene uh, early in the season was just so back and forth until Oregon pulled away in the last 90 seconds, I want to say. And then that one in Pullman, there was almost it was hard to write about because it was three point wazoo win, and there's just did not seem to be an edge at all. Uh, yeah. You probably remember that one as well. It's, it's just, uh, I'm looking forward to a really entertaining ball game. Seems like these teams match up well against each other. It's, it's pretty much all I've got. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I love it. That's part of what makes the, the tournament special. You mentioned the defense helping key this run and underrated defense. Uh, what else about, this current Cougar unit has impressed you during this stretch of victories? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, TJ Bamba and Mo Gay, the two, uh, two captains of the team for sure. Uh, I think it was coming into this game. Uh, Mo was averaging in, in the last six games, he was averaging something like um, 15 and 10 shooting 60%. And uh, over the last three games, Bamba was averaging 26 points and shooting 61%. Uh, so those guys just exploded late in the year. They've been good all year. They've been the leaders all year, but they really just saved their best ball for late. And then the guys around them, like the the, the floor, like DJ Rodman and Yakimovsky, the really veteran forwards, are just giving them a little bit of scoring when they need it. Uh, basically, waiting for their opportunities to shoot, but letting TJ and Mo uh, handle it. Uh, and then Justin Powell, that really developed as a point guard, first year Kook. Uh, and a really good defender. So it, it seems like they're gelling together. Like the three other starters have have, have found they're settled into their roles, and then uh, Gay and Bomba have settled into starring roles. And that's what Smith talked about that too. The five starters are really really starting to click, 
and it really it, it's a new look starting lineup. And maybe it just took till the end of the season to to have it clicking like it is right now. And and with uh, and, and even Gay and Bamba didn't have their their they they ended up putting up decent totals today, but. Uh, they are capable of like guys like Rodman and Yakimovsky and Powell. They can contribute when the when the stars are down. Uh, they just do seem to be a, a a fairly complete team right now, and I think that that shows in the in the streak and how they've competed with teams like UCLA and Arizona and Baylor uh, this year. I think they can they really can match up with uh, the upper tier teams. Colton Clark covers Washington State athletics for the Spokesman Review. He's on Twitter at Spokesman Clark. It's going to be Ducks and Cougs, uh, the Ernie Kent battle uh, tomorrow at, at two thirty in Vegas. <laughs> I know Jordan is there in the arena, so uh, say hi to him for me if if you do see him. Okay. Yeah, Love I got to work that into the story somehow. The Kent battle. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're welcome for that one. Uh, uh, yeah. There's there's a Rodman on the team. Uh, you know, I as someone that, that follows soccer as well, I know Trinity Rodman uh, was at Washington State and she's doing big things and. In pro soccer, uh, the daughter of Dennis Rodman, and you mentioned DJ. Uh, what's it like covering a Rodman? <laughs> oh, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting. I did have a really long sit down with him a couple a uh, couple months ago or so, and and uh, you know, I would obviously recommend reading my stories, but that that one was was one of my better ones. I thought just because it was so interesting their lives and and uh, how you know Trinity and DJ they say they're like, hey, we're you know he's our dad, but like, he didn't raise us. Like they were raised completely by their moms. They had a tough upbringing. And, but it, it, it's funny that DJ just happens to play, uh, like his dad, uh, with the, the, I mean, he drew five fouls in the first like seven minutes of this game. He had a double, double. He's just like a grinder type of guy. He was always on the floor, diving for loose balls, just crashing the glass. I mean, he's had a whole, he's had a handful of games with like six, seven offensive rebounds this year, but he's, he's six, six and a half maybe. Uh, so he plays like him. Uh, and, and he just really is a, just a humble dude. Uh, really, really easy to talk to really smart. He's going to be a, 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 after his basketball career is over, he's going to be a great broadcaster type of guy. I think that's what he's looking to do. And, yeah, he, he uh, so I yeah I'd recommend reading the uh, piece I wrote about him, just about his upbringing and and how he's developed into a. It took a while. It took a few years for him to develop into the player he's today, but really good role player. And now he has uh, little standout games and still doing that that dirty work that he kind of takes pride in. What has this recent run of success meant for Kyle Smith and his coaching tenure? Um, for those of us kind of watching Wazoo basketball from afar as it relates to the Pac-12 conference. He's been here for a few years, right? This is year four for him. And, and what has this uh, recent run meant for him? Well, it may, maybe similar to last year. I, uh, last year they had uh, not this kind of string of wins, but uh, they were similarly like got hot late in the year, kind of a new look squad, and then made that big run to the semifinals of the NIT. Um, it, it's kind of similar in that way. Uh, except, I guess they're, they're aiming higher again. Though that would be a a miracle to to run through this this tournament and make the end because the NCAA's are off the table if they don't win the whole thing. But it sounds like uh, you know maybe one more win or maybe this win tonight did it. It sounds like they might be in the NIT anyway. So I think uh, that's huge just for uh, how it started. A lot of people midway through the season. I know that a lot of the fan base was like, "Oh God." 
you know, I thought we had built last year, and now it seems like we have to build again. And, you know, the big thing is Miles Rice and Deshaun Jackson, who were lost uh, to, to health health deals early. Miles Rice was supposed to be a, a almost maybe a starting guard, and, and he actually uh, is battling cancer right now. And then mm-hmm. Deshaun Jackson, who's their starting center, uh, is an unspecified medical deal. Um, that was before the season they lost them, and that was a big – setback obviously and then they had a bunch of injuries the lineup was never stable and then when they finally put it together you're starting to see a little bit more of the potential even without two of the guys who haven't played all season uh so i, I think similar to it, it you know it, uh restored hope in the fan base that you know especially seeing what the the women's run especially seeing the women's run uh and i know that they can draw inspiration from that too so yeah yeah big uh, big two years in a row, uh, getting hot at the right time. Well, I know you say it'd be a miracle if they can get through the Pac-12 tournament and win it, but I just saw the women's team do it, Colton, and it just might be a a magical thing. Is anybody in Pullman believing in in magic this time of year? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just uh, And I've been seeing it on Twitter right after the women won it. It was like, oh, the men are going to do it, too. Like, they're almost like, the belief has almost turned into like confidence. They're like, Oh, this is our month. Like this is our year. Uh, <laughs> and it really is. If you look at it, like just the school, it's like a perfect Cinderella school, you know, uh, it's it just it tucked in the wheat fields and this, and uh, really you can't find a, a city for, <laughs> you have to drive 70 miles to Spokane to get to an actual city. And it's, it, it really does feel like a Cinderella town and, and you know, maybe maybe this is this this is their year. I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to, you know say too much to get up too hyped up here. But uh, with the way they're playing, though, it just it, both teams are clicking at the right time, and and uh, uh, sort of the the what what Cami Etheridge and Kyle Smith pride themselves on, what they built programs with, are similar similar kind of tenets. You know, so. Uh, yeah, like I said, they can draw inspiration from that, and, and the the folks in Pullman are seeing that they're like, oh, what if? You know, <laughs> I look up and I see Shania Twain tweeting about the Cougar women's basketball team. I see Clay oh, no. Clay Thompson repping his alma mater. I'm like, man, that's good. You know, capture the vibes yeah. while you have them. Like that, that's awesome stuff. Right. That gives me a, a lot to work with, for sure. Yeah, I love that. Uh, quick pivot. What uh, What do you know about uh, Cougar football this time of year as, as spring football is nearing? Uh, I can't help but be interested with, with what's going on after, you know, obviously, Eric Morris is leaving. And Jake Dickert, you know, the, the he's fresh on the scene, but now, you know, first full season's behind him. Now they're trying to build something with a little bit of expectation and potential uh, what do you know of Wazoo football as we get ready for spring spring ball? Well, it, it seems they made some good hires. I mean, uh, the new offensive coordinator Ben Arbuckle, up and coming guy from Western Kentucky, had one of the best offenses, one of one of the best passing offenses in the country last year, and and uh, they're all the big emphasis for them is to stretch the field more to get more of those downfield shots because there's too many short balls last year, and they have the quarterback to be able to do it so. I'll be I'll be really interested to see that the the offensive scheme uh, as they install it during spring camp and and seeing if they they go downfield a little bit more because Cameron Ward really his potential and and hey, you probably remember that that Oregon game that that yeah. kind of shootout they had with the Ducks 
uh, in September was, you know, you could see uh, a little bit of Ward's potential in that game. Um, and they added a bunch of, you know, high uh, G5 transfer receivers, but, but guys that are veterans and have had big numbers before. So I'll really be looking at the, uh, the passing concepts they install, if they do stretch the field more, what they do with these three uh, G5 receiver transfers and how Cam, uh, Cam Ward has developed. And then their new D coordinator, uh, Jeff Schmetting, a Spokane guy, longtime Eastern Washington uh, coach, was with Harson at Boise State and Auburn. Uh, I'll see what, what kind of tweaks they add. It is Dicker's defense. They've kind of, uh, with, with uh, additions, uh, Dicker, I guess, doesn't want it to really be known as his defense, but it is his defense he installed in 2020. Um, so I would like to see, you know, what kind of tweaks they've made uh, if they uh, are still doing the same sets of uh, bead rusher lines and whatnot because they've had a good defense for the last couple of years. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see how similar the defense is compared to the last two years and how, what Schmetting adds or, or if Dickert's defense is still seems the same. And, yeah, uh, if they get a little bit more explosive in the passing game. On Twitter, at Spokesman Clark, Colton Clark, covers all things Washington State Athletics for the Spokesman Review. Joining us live from Vegas and the Pac-12 Men's Tournament, where the five-seed Cougars move on comfortably past Cal and next get a date with four-seed Oregon tomorrow, 2.30 in the quarterfinals. Colton, thanks for making time for us on short notice. We appreciate it, my friend. Enjoy the brief, if any, downtime that you have in Vegas, and uh, we'll look forward to following your coverage throughout the tournament. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. There he is. And say hi to Gonzalo for us uh, if you see him. <laughs> I know he's uh, he's down there somewhere, uh, JC, tweeting from inside the arena earlier today at John Gonzalo BFT. That's Colton Clark. A lot of fun. Uh, I am heavy. On the clock, I, w- I would have had more follow-ups about Kook football because I can't get enough college football in my life right about now. Uh, but we'll reset some of those thoughts on the other side. Maybe a, a sniff around the Ducks and Beavs as well as we close up the show on this fine Wednesday. Newbie in for Kazano on the Baldfish Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Ball Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program, Nubian for Canzano on the BFT. Walk in right as the... uh, Bump music comes back to play. I did that thing again, Stephen, where I challenged myself. Can I, in the span of one commercial break, leave the studio, go down to the third floor, use the restroom, fill up my water bottle, and be back by the time the next segment begins? How'd I do? Ah, uh, you were good. You you almost lost, but uh, I'll count it as a dub still. You almost got the L, but it, it was a dub. How long did the bump music have to play? It was maybe 10 seconds. I, I looked over at your desk because I didn't know where you went. I thought maybe you were at your desk. Yes. I, was, I, I had to get ready to go. I was ready to, I was ready to go just in case you were back. But uh, yeah. yeah, probably not wise on my part to uh, not tell you where I'm going uh, during the commercial break there. But you had an update to do. Yeah. I, uh, I also didn't bring my phone with me. So if something happened and I got locked out of the studio, ah, there would be no way to know. And you would have to take this ship 
all the way into tomorrow. Which is a high probability with uh, the way our key cards work, which is not great. Not great. Not great, Bob. There's about a 40% chance that you're locked out of the studio. A few years ago, well, this was, this was, I've been with the station for a while, but a few years ago, we had an afternoon drive host who had a half hour show to do that day because it was the, uh, it was championship Monday. So it was around this time of year, right? It was in April though for, uh, the men's national championship game. And we had coverage of the men's national championship game starting at three 30 that day. And, uh, this particular host had a show from three to three 30 and I'm board hopping. I'm where you are, Steve, and I, I'm running the board and, uh, doing updates. And I looked to the host studio next to me and, you know, talent, they roll in 258, 259, no problem. Crack the mic. Let's go. So I figured that's what was going on. I do my three o'clock update. I'm playing the show open. I am playing the show open. I look to my left. There ain't nobody in there. I look to my right. There's no producer in there, and it's just me, and I'm green, dude. I am green. I'm fresh out of it and trying to make an impression, and there's no one there, and I'm like, dude, we got a half hour of radio to do, and I don't see a soul. Now, it wasn't my best moment because I ended up playing the show open twice. I let it, I let the whole thing run out, and then I played it again, and people were like, what is going on? But then I busted out the door, and I was like, is anybody here? And uh, one random producer came in and helped do 30 minutes for, with me. Uh, let's just say the the host that day, he did get in trouble for that. And it was not a good day for for that gentleman. He thought he didn't have a show to do. He thought he didn't have a show. But the schedule's that you have a 30-minute show to do. The log was ready, everything. And uh, he just abandoned ship. Not a good day for him. That is the thing about this job is you really can't be late. Like, like, if you're late, yeah. you're, you're screwed. Like, <laughs> it is a time limit, you know. But uh, some jobs you're allowed to be late. You got to be early at this type of job. But, uh, yeah, that's a uh, good job by you to just yell out help. You know, I feel like yeah. that's uh, that's what you learned when you are a little kid. You're in trouble, just yell help. Just yell help. And that's what Judah, little Judah did. He ran out of the studio and yelled help. Or as people, you know, told me later or, uh, you know, as I would tell you, just take that thing over. Just drive that ship. Just go. I should have done that. And I ended up doing it, but I, you know, I played the show open twice first because I was kind of spazzing out. I was like, what is happening? Nobody's here. This is not supposed to happen. Uh, But, you know, my advice to myself would be put your foot in the ground and go, you know, let's let's move this thing. Just own it. Just own own it. it. (laughs) I'd be lying if I said I haven't had that type of uh, anxiety with John sometimes. Right. Oh, John's the same way. Because we're not in the same building. Yeah. So I can't even, like, you know, see his face or anything. So I'm like, I yep, hope he's there. Yeah. I hope he's go. there. Trust him. A lot of trust goes on in these situations. But you know what? It's the bald-faced truth. He only tells the truth, so I trust him. <laughs> That's exactly right. I only uh, believe the truth uh, with John Canzano. Uh, we'll be in for John again on Thursday and Friday, but we hope to connect with John uh, over the course of the Pac-12 tournament and get some updates from him, including, is George there? Is George Klyovkov there? If he is, cool. Does he plan to speak? Doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like he's going to go on the record with anybody right now. So that is interesting because generally at a crown jewel event, like a conference tournament, like a conference championship game, your commissioner would talk and have something to say. So uh, silence is uh, 
is pretty loud at this point out of George Klyovkov. It really seems like it'd be a great opportunity to uh, share some great news, right? Like if there's, think. if there's some good news, hey, might, might as well celebrate it while everyone's watching the Pac-12 tournament. And, you know, there obviously isn't good news. But there's no, but there's no good news right now. Yet. Right. And uh, I just don't, you know, I mentioned on the show Last week or earlier in the week, John was saying, hey, what are you tired of? What are you fatigued with? And I said, look, man, I am kind of exhausted with media rights negotiations. And I was being completely honest. And I I still feel that way. But I did leave the show that day thinking, like, I think one of the reasons I am exhausted with the topic is because I know it's important. I know it's important. Like, it's going to matter to each of us as fans, as media members, like, this is a huge moment and a pivot point for the conference. I know the gravity of it. It's massive. So coverage of it, therefore, is important. But it's almost because it's important, we see something about it all the time. And because it's important, rumors are rampant. And it's just the totality of all of it. And the agency of the audience, the agency of me, to have to rely, to, to parse between what's fact and what's fiction. Thankfully for me, it's not that hard because you mentioned trust with John Cazzano, and I just trust that dude <laughs> for a good reason. Totally sourced up, like the most sourced up guy, and that's not even a, a question. The most sourced up guy you could find. So on a topic like this, it does simplify it a little bit more. Just follow what Cazzano and Wilner are doing, and you'll be on good standing. But that being said, even those guys, I know those guys are challenged to get right the type of stuff that, that they're getting, you know, and everybody's playing a game. The CEO group is playing a game. ADs are playing a game. Presidents and chancellors are playing a game. Rick George is playing some kind of twisted, weird game, which is we have Dion and therefore we are the most prized university, you know, West of the Mississippi, if not in the entire country. And look, I, I don't I don't blame them, I guess, but isn't that weird? Colorado went from this lowly no name to being like, we've got Dion. Now, the next few months, we're gonna leverage the Dion hype to treat ourselves like everybody come come get us. Brett Yormark, you want us in the Big Twelve? Come get us. Colorado is is definitely on some iffy, iffy ground with the Pac twelve right now. The Pac twelve can say whatever it wants about we're all together, we're all together, we're all together. You know. Rick George is keeping his options open if he does have options right now. And the only reason he can do that is because Dion's on campus. And, and I don't blame him, right? Like, I think you're right in that he's leveraging this whole situation because of Dion. But I don't blame him because, Judah, like, we still don't know if Dion's going to be a success on this level. Like, he was a success at Jackson State. He brought in the recruits there. But this is a whole different level, playing in the Pac-12, playing in the Power 5. Is he going to be as successful as he was at Jackson State? So if you're Colorado... You may not be very good, and so you're leveraging all the leverage you have. You have a lot of leverage with Dion right now. Colorado may be the most talked-about program outside of the SEC. Like, that might be a real thing. Like, yeah. Think about that. And so, I mean, if I'm Rick George, yeah, I'm playing this card of I got Deion Sanders, man. This could hit because if it hits, they're going to be great. But if it doesn't hit, he's trying to leverage himself and his school to be in the best spot he could possibly be in, whether that's the Pac-12 or the Big 12. Their leverage couldn't be any higher than it is right now. And it it's gonna get only get lower once football season starts. I think. Yeah, right? I mean, their a, win total is five and a half. It's like, the buy low, sell high. Like they yeah. are selling high right now because probably they're not gonna win 
six games, right? They're they're projected four and a half, five games. So sell, sell high. Don't tell can. Mike in Portland that. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's six, got he's seven, got eight, ten, prime ten. going to the national title. That would be <laughs> so, sick, though. That would be sweet. That would be pretty wild. Maybe with the expanded playoff, uh, we'll see. 503-417-7575. Bounce for break. Close up shop on the other side on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up next here on 750 The Game in the uh, Portland area and 750thegame.com, Talk Timbers with myself and uh, co-host Jake Zivin. Uh, we talk all things Portland Timbers. Their third game of the season is coming up this Saturday night. They're taking on St. Louis City SC, an expansion club who's won each of their first two games. So uh, they're coming to Providence Park. So going to break that one down. Our guest is going to be a gentleman by the name of Heath Pierce, University of Portland great, played under Clive Charles, uh, an MLS veteran as well, and he's an Apple TV analyst, and he'll be on the call this Saturday night of Timbers and uh, St. Louis City, which is awesome. I'm a big uh, St. Louis Cardinals fan, so I think St. Louis is an epic sports market, so to have them in MLS is a big win as well. Uh, After Talk Timbers, later on tonight, Pretty darn late. 8.30 p.m. tip-off. The Big Sky Conference Tournament Championship, Stephen. Who is playing in the Big Sky Tournament Championship? It is the nine seed, Northern Arizona Lumberjacks. They're taking on Montana State Bobcats, the two seed. Uh, Northern Arizona had a miracle win over the number one seed, Eastern Washington, who dominated that, that league. Wow. They've got it all the way to the to the championship game. I believe they have like 10 wins on the season, but uh, they do have one really good star player, uh, Jalen Cohn. He used to play at Virginia Tech. Hmm. He's at uh, Northern Arizona now. I'm excited. I'll be, I know I'll be watching. All the kids will be in bed. The wife will be in bed. I'll be, I'll be staying up watching that game. The nine seed in the big sky is in the tournament title game, so... That's going to be fun, and you can hear that from Westwood One on 750thegame and 750thegame.com streaming for free. Quick prediction on Oregon State, Arizona State tonight, Stephen. Uh, I'll take Arizona State, but I think Oregon State covers the 11. Okay. How are the Blazers doing? Blazers are getting whooped, like I said. <laughs> you did say that. You did say that. I texted my buddy who's who's at the game, and I was like, they're going to get crushed tonight. Who like, do you like Washington State, Oregon, real quick? Because that game will be on when, when we're on the air tomorrow. I like Washington State to win this game. I'll go Oregon. That's going to be about begrudgingly. A pick, it's going to be about a pick'em spread. Begrudgingly, it's going to be about a pick'em. Golly, it's good. Uh, thanks to Colton Clark who covers Cougar basketball, Cougar athletics. Find the podcast if you missed it. You joined us live from Vegas. We'll talk to you again tomorrow on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network.